Okay, members, you're very welcome to this meeting of the Committee for Education. I don't need a Supreme Court ruling to proceed, uh, so we will go straight to our substantive briefings for today, given we're extremely short on time and have to leave the room at 12. And therefore, we will have to keep questions and answers uh, extremely focused and concise. Um, our, our first substantive briefing today is on special schools area planning and it is from the Education Authority and Department of Education. Can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove all members from Spotlight and to add our witnesses? Can I refer members to a cover note from the committee clerk at page 14? The EA consultation paper on special schools area planning at page 26. A draft copy of the EA lessons learned report at page 154. Correspondence from special school principals at page 177. A briefing paper from the Education Authority at page 2 of table papers. And welcome our witnesses to the Education Committee. Michelle Corky, Director of Education at the Education Authority. Michael McConkey, Head of Community Planning and Community and Schools at the Education Authority. Una Turbert. Interim Director of Children and Young People Services at the Education Authority, Janice Scallon, Director of Sustainable Schools Policy and Planning at the Department of Education, Lorraine Finlay, Delivering Schools for the Future at the Department of Education, Brenda Shearer, Head of Special Education at the Department of Education, and by way of welcome say that the committee and predecessor committees have been briefed on special schools and area planning on a number of occasions previously. It is a priority issue for us um, and we look forward to receiving your briefing on special schools area planning. Uh, perhaps you can also make some reference to the 2018 special schools and special educational needs early years framework consultation and you have up to 15 minutes for your opening statement. I'll hand over to Michelle. Good morning, Chris. You can hear me okay? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Chair and members of the committee. Chris, you've done the introduction, so we'll just begin if you're, you're content with that. On behalf of the Education Authority, I'm pleased to have this opportunity to share with you the Education Authority's proposed vision for the future educational provision for children with special educational needs across special schools and specialist provisions in mainstream schools in Northern Ireland. I acknowledge that some members attended the launch of the consultation two weeks ago and will have heard some of this input. As stated in the forward to the documents, these proposals have been developed following engagement with a range of key stakeholders with a particular interest in special education including the Department of Education, who are in, in attendance with us today, health and social care professionals, and most importantly, our special school and mainstream school principals. The Education Authority is committed to providing services that will ensure our children and young people get a high quality educational experience, promoting the best possible start in life. This is particularly important for children with special educational needs. In supporting those children, it is important that we recognise the need for a range of specialist provisions across our mainstream and special school settings to meet the diverse and changing learning needs of pupils. 
We want to ensure that our children have access to excellent provision throughout their educational journey that is appropriate to their needs and enables them to fulfil their potential and attend a school close to where they live. My directorate, the Education Directorate, were asked to take on the task of bringing forward these frameworks in February 2020. And I am very pleased that officers have been able to bring both documents through to the consultation stage in just seven months, in spite of the disruption caused by the current coronavirus pandemic. However, the Education Authority acknowledges that it has taken some time to get to this point. And while neither I nor the area planning team were involved in the previous process, I am aware that my colleagues in the Children and Young People Service laid the groundwork for these documents through their work over a number of years. Both documents have their origins in the November 2015 Ministerial Review of Special School Provision. And as the previous minister stated at the time, the Education Authority was commissioned to prepare, publish and consult on a regional area plan for special schools. And that this full report will provide the framework for the regional area plan. As you know, this regional area plan was duly published in April 2017 as Section 5 of Providing Pathways Strategic Area Plan for School Provision 2017 to 2020, along with the accompanying Annual Action Plan for Primary, Post-Primary and Special Schools. Officers from the Children and Young People Service began implementation of the Special Schools element of the plan in the spring of 2018, but encountered a very negative response from school principals, their governors, and parents in the South Belfast area. Based on this feedback and conscious of engaging with all stakeholders, the Education Authority took a step back to ensure that its approach included appropriate engagement and communication with special school principals and parents with children attending special schools. At the same time, the Department of Education asked the Education Authority to produce a special schools framework that brought the 2015 review up to date and with an additional deadline of July 2019. Therefore, the Education Authority agreed not to take forward any further special schools area planning work until this document was completed. I am aware the number of draft versions were discussed with our colleagues in the Department of Education, but no agreement had been reached by the time the Education Directorate took on this role in early 2020 and completed both the special school area planning framework and the specialist provisions in mainstream, mainstream framework. Turning to the documents themselves, firstly, the special schools area planning framework advocates a consistent model across all areas of Northern Ireland that would see all special schools provide three to 19 provision in the same school so that all children with special educational needs in Northern Ireland would be able to access nursery, primary, post-primary and post-16 education in the same school and preferably in their local community. Alongside the growth in special school numbers, summarised in figure one in your briefing document, there is an emerging trend relating to an increase in the complexity of pupil need and the profile of pupils requiring a special school placement. The presence of more than one type of assessed need can present a range of challenges 
which have placed an increased pressure on the staff and accommodation within special schools. In seeking to provide a greater level of consistency across the region, the Education Authority wants to improve pupil outcomes to allow appropriate pathways to training and employment, ensure there is sufficient capacity in the system to meet demand for places, to address the current geographical inconsistencies in Northern Ireland in relation to 3 to 19 years provision, and to reduce the distance travelled by some pupils to school, and to work with health and social care trusts to ensure there is an integrated and tiered model of support for our children and young people with special educational needs. I mentioned previously the ministerial-led review of special school provision from 2015, and the proposals within the framework arise from the recommendations contained within this review, including three to 19 years special schools and educating children close to where they live. These are the cornerstones of our work as the Education Authority seeks to reshape special school provision with an originally consistent framework to meet the changing needs of our children and young people with special educational needs. By having provision which is flexible and consistent in the education and interventions offered, the Education Authority wants to provide pupils with equitable access to excellent provision with a highly skilled and diverse workforce across all areas of Northern Ireland. In addition, the Special Schools Area Planning Framework will be used to inform a review of the current actions for special schools within the Area Planning Annual Action Plan, as well as informing future area planning priorities. Finally, we were very pleased that seven special school principals, five of whom were from the Belfast Special Schools, agreed to work with us in the development of this framework and helped to shape the final document. Secondly, the framework for specialist provision in mainstream. As you are aware, the Education Authority funds specialist provision in mainstream schools to support children with a statement of educational need, which indicates the specialist teaching within a small group setting is most appropriate. The Education Authority is seeking to increase the number of mainstream schools which offer specialist education provision and put in place a framework to provide pupils and parents with a greater level of equity in the availability of specialist provision in mainstream schools across the region, helping to address the geographical inconsistencies that exist. This will provide greater access to inclusive educational opportunities for pupils of special needs. Importantly, there is opportunity also for wider participation in the mainstream school along mainstream peers. The Education Authority is committed to promoting inclusion and therefore it is imperative that this is reflected in this continuum of provision. Mainstream schools are evaluated against DE's sustainable schools policy. However, a key aspect of this document is establishing agreement around the additional criteria and indicators that will be used by the Education Authority and the Department of Education when selecting schools to host specialist provision in the future. As mentioned earlier and outlined in our written submission, 
The framework for specialist provision in mainstream schools also includes a pilot. The aim of the pilot, undertaken by the Education Authority on behalf of the Department of Education, is to develop, test and agree a new process that will facilitate the establishment, closure or change of specialist provision in sustainable mainstream schools in an efficient and expedient manner without the requirement for a development proposal. Again, as outlined in our submission, this will link to the Education Authority statutory duty arising from the 2016 Send Act to publish an annual plan of arrangements for special educational needs. Our hope is that this process will replace the lengthy and cumbersome development proposal process that is currently used to establish closure or change specialist provision in sustainable mainstream schools in favour of a process that is reactive and flexible. Chair, members will be aware that the process of consultation has begun on both framework documents and will run until the 11th of December 2020. As set out in the document themselves, the Education Authority is fully committed to a transparent process of consultation with full engagement with schools, governors, parents and all other interested parties. To this end, the Education Authority has written to all schools to make them aware of the consultation process, as well as making contact with over 650 individuals and organisations who may have an interest in this area. Furthermore, the Education Authority is running a number of virtual consultation meetings open to all to provide an opportunity for interested parties to ask questions directly to officers involved in bringing forward these documents. The first of these meetings is next Monday, the 9th of November at 7pm, and full details of this meeting and the others are available on the Education Authority's website. I would like to take this opportunity to encourage as many interested people as possible to avail of these consultation meetings. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, the Education Authority is engaging directly with schools and our special schools in particular to listen to their views. A seconded special school principal and former president of the NAHT union is engaging currently in focus group work with principals across the region. Through these groups, the Education Authority will gain access to school governors and parents to ensure that we are receiving as detailed feedback as possible in relation to both frameworks. All feedback received will help shape the final documents before they are published. To conclude, I believe that the proposed frameworks for the future delivery of special educational needs provision across special schools and the specialist provision in mainstream schools will help us to enable positive outcomes for children across Northern Ireland and enhance consistency in the accessibility of our services. As the Education Authority undertakes this important work, there is an opportunity for everyone to have their say in relation to the future of special educational needs provision across Northern Ireland. Everyone's contribution is important and will be given full consideration as we seek to improve pupil outcomes for those children and young people who require specialist support 
on parents' confidence in the educational opportunities provided. Chair, on this basis, I commend both framework documents to you and to your colleagues in the Assembly Committee for Education. Thank you. Thanks, thanks Michelle. Uh, do Department of Education officials wish to add anything? No, Chair, other than to say that um, just to echo a couple of things that Michelle has said around the time taken for this document to emerge um, and to acknowledge the reinvigoration and motivation that we've seen um, with increased collaboration between the Education Authorities, Education and Children and Young People Services Directorate and ourselves in the department. So we welcome this consultation and we look forward to seeing the analysis of the consultation and moving um, in particular forward with the pilot to try and create a more agile and flexible process for putting the most vital provision for special educational needs pupils in place quickly. Okay, thank you. Um, my apologies in advance. We, uh, circumstances at the Assembly make our time um, fairly uh, short today, so um, forgive us if our questions are concise and that we try to move you through your answers uh, concisely as well. Um, can I start uh, by asking the Education Authority about the timing of the consultation? The committee has received some concern um, that um, the current timing um, of the consultation is uh, non-ideal given um, the pandemic situation and the overwhelming nature of that, particularly for parents and for principals and teachers in special schools who are working so hard to manage the safety and education of special school pupils. Would you like to respond to that briefly? Yes, thank you, Chris. I, I pass to my colleague, Michael, to, to address that question. Uh, uh, thank you, Chair. Um, Chair, just two, two issues uh, very quickly. One, obviously, is the uh, we're very much aware of the time that has taken to get to this point and the priority required to meet the needs of children and young people moving forward. So that is our, our, our prime concern uh, in, in terms of, of moving the, this through as quickly as we can. Uh, secondly, as Michelle indicated, we have input from seven uh, special school principals, and there was some discussion with them about the timing uh, for this. And in the end, um, they agreed with us that it was best to move forward as quickly as possible they were very much aware that, that there would be issues uh, ongoing with the pandemic. But as everything can be accessed virtually, um, we are confident that we will be able to uh, provide sufficient support uh, for anyone who's interested or who has questions through through online platforms okay. or as themselves you know, through the focus group work. Okay, thanks. Um, you'll, you'll be aware that the most recent attempt at area planning on special schools, I think it was in 2016, was met with public protest. Um, you say that you have engaged with special school principals. I think you particularly mentioned five Belfast special schools principals and said that they had shaped the document. Can you advise the committee exactly what the nature of that engagement with those five Belfast special school principals was? Chair, uh, uh, again, I'll, I'll uh, pick this up. Um, as part of the ongoing process of development of the document, once the document was in a very uh, early draft stage, um, we, we set up a focus group of principals across the region, which included five from the, the Belfast area, including um, those, those schools where 
there had been greatest concern raised, I think it was in the spring of 2018, uh, when those original consultations took place. Um, so they had an opportunity to go through the document, uh, to make comments on it, to shape um, uh, what the final document looked like, make any suggested changes to it. So all of those ideas were taken on board and, were, and changes were made based on the, the conversations we had with those principals. And then it was sent back to them for any final comments before we, we took it through our own internal processes. Okay. Well, there's a reality gap somewhere here because I don't think the Belfast Special Schools principals feel um, that their engagement would be described as having shaped the document or at a at an early stage of drafting of the document, but we'll not, we'll not dwell on that for now. Um, you, you say that the vision for special schools is a, a consistent model, all schools 3 to 19. What is the, what is the evidence for that one-size-fits-all type of approach? Well, Chair, that's the current model, and that's the model that was devised, and when it went out to consultation, uh, I, I, and I, I speak here not being involved, but um, other models would have been most welcome, but this, based on the consultation, is the model preferred moving forward, not that, it, that out of other suggestions come in, it can't be addressed. Okay, and perhaps this is more to the Department of Education. Um, of this, the document says it's a vision for special schools. It doesn't seem to have any budget, capital budget, for special school infrastructure um what what is the the plan for special school infrastructure and what is the capital budget for special school infrastructure chair we need to await the outcome of the consultation to see when the final framework documents are ready um and certainly from an area planning perspective Anything that's taken through the process by way of capital would be going through a separate process um, in terms of business case. So I am not in a position to give a budget on that right now, um, but we would await the outcome of what parents and principals and children themselves have to say in terms of these frameworks to make sure that they are fit for purpose before we would implement any capital input from an area planning point of view. Okay, is, is that not a, a half-baked approach to the issue then? Should, should, if we're looking at a vision for special schools, should we not be sitting down with all key stakeholders and um, comprehensively considering the, the model, um, the complexity of need, the infrastructure available to meet that need and the budget to go with it? Chair, I think... Um my colleague Ricky Irwin is coming up in a couple of weeks to talk to you um, and, and he may well cover that off in his briefing but I think to sit down and preempt what a budget would be for something which we don't actually have the responses on the consultation back we need to get it from the key stakeholders and the customers on the ground which are parents and, and pupils themselves um, so once we have that I think at that point it would be it would be a much better position to sit down with the relevant officials to work out if any budget would be required and where that would be required. We would be preempting the outcome of the consultation if we did that at this stage. Okay. Um, and Janice, I appreciate this might be before your time. I'm, I'm not 100% uh, aware, but um, 
in terms of an awareness of need and particularly school infrastructure need, the, obviously the, the Belfast Education and Library Board conducted a, an extensive, extensive piece of work that reported in May 2012 um, with some key recommendations in relation to Belfast Special Schools. Um, I'll, I'll reference a few of them while time allows me here. A shortfall in provision for SLD, PMLD, uh, severe learning disability, um, and profound uh, learning difficulty within the Belfast Education and Library Board. Overcrowding at Glenvay and Oakwood schools, increasingly complex pupil profiles, high numbers of pupils with PMLD, uh, resulting overspilling having a negative impact on the entire special school estate, growing demand for places in neighbouring boards, growth predicted to continue, the need for at least one new special school um, in Belfast and extension at Oakwood School. That was 2012. Why in 2020 are we, are we not consulting on the school estate as part of this process? Sorry, Chair. There's a couple. Of, I'll come in first, and then I'll ask the EA because they're very operational questions. Um, so, 2012 was indeed well before my time in the department. Um, the first thing that I would say is that, as far as I'm aware, that work um, is what prompted the 2015 review. So following the recommendations of the 2015 and we've all ourselves in the department and the education authority have acknowledged that it has taken some time to get to where we are today um, but the work that was done back in 2012 and those operational outputs that have come out of that work um, informed the 2015 review the 2015 review then made the recommendations that has informed these frameworks um, as a collaborative way of working um, and i think it's important that we bring you know we have new cohorts of children through. We have new cohorts of parents through. The landscape have cha has changed. We have more children now with special educational need than we would have had back in 2012 in terms of a higher proportion. So I think it's important that we have a look at a fresh framework that takes account of the current landscape. Um, but Education Authority might want to come in, in in more detail on the back of that. Yeah, Michael, do you want to respond to that question as well? Yes, certainly, um, Chair. Um, Sorry, and it's Michelle in case you hadn't figured that out. But uh, I suppose none of us in the room were in, in post in in, in uh, 2012 and weren't responsible for this area. But I suppose with the education authority now being regionally based, uh, we need to have a consistent region-wide approach to this. Uh, and I suppose that's where we're moving to now, and that's where we are now. Michael, did you want to add to that? Uh, not very much more, Chair. You know, the, there is acknowledgement in uh, the document itself on page six, which refers back to the, the legacy arrangements and awareness that planning at that time is very much just around particular areas. As Michelle's alluded to, we are looking at something that is much more consistent uh, across the region. Oh, okay, I mean, we're talking eight years. Um, and one clear recommendation for at least one new special school in Belfast. How, how does whether this is a regional approach impact on an identified need of at least one new school in Belfast from 2012? I'm not in a position to comment, Chair. I apologise. I don't know the history. Okay, but it's not—it's not a historical question. The question I'm asking is: was was why does this consultation not include any proposed capital budget or 
uh, proposals for special school infrastructure, um, citing the fact that from as long ago as 2012, there were Education and Library Board identification of need for at least one new school. Uh, uh, Chair, uh, um, I'll pick that up. Uh, I, I suppose uh, what, we, what we have here are these strategic overviews for this has to provide the framework to allow operational actions to take place. So once these are approved, as is referred to in the documents themselves and Michelle referred to, this will inform area planning um, positions moving forward. So first of all, we have uh, legacy uh, plans that are already in their existence. So we need to review those in light of the consultation responses that we get. And then based on those responses, we need to formulate clear plans, which obviously would look at some of these issues that you're talking about, the need for rationalisation potentially across schools or the need for new schools, whatever that come, that is that arises as a result of the consultation itself. Okay. I think you're going to find people finding it difficult to respond without some idea of what that means for an, an actual school estate and school infrastructure, but I need to move on. Uh, bring in uh, Karen Mullen, MLA, Deputy Chairperson. Thank you, Chair. Um, and just following on um, from what the Chair has said, uh, I think it's uh, very frustrating for people out there to hear the length of time um, that it has taken us to get to this point. Uh, and the length of time that we're talking about here, about making changes, particularly in the Belfast area. Um, so I know that that's going to be very frustrating for people. The area planning process, as we know, um, is, is a very lengthy uh, process. Um, and um, I suppose it doesn't fill us with much sort of uh, hope going away. But just want to, I suppose, thank you all for attending this morning. My question, my first question is around the consultation document and it indicates that the new framework is designed to address existing need and meet projected demands for special school places, which have seen their enrolment increase by around 20% uh, in the last five years, or in about five years. Can the Education Authority advise us on how they expect the demand for special schools to increase in the next five years? Uh, Chair, it's, it's very clear from the, the documents provided that there is an increase in need and an increase in population, and we are uh, formulating a, a cross-directorate approach to this in the short, medium and long term to address those issues and have a much more joined-up approach to this and working on all of the data and information and working very closely with the schools to address all of those issues. In my own city, we have a new build, which we're very grateful for. Um, Arden Shee is being built. I'm being told uh, that it's already been built. Uh, it's currently been built for a size less than their current intake um, that won't even take, won't have the capacity for increased enrolment. So is it the EA's plan to increase capacity in learning support centres in order to take the pressure off special schools? Uh, Chair, yes, that's the purpose of the consultation, to gain views on this and to take a much more strategic approach to the use of the specialist provision in mainstream and therefore refining the uh, intake into our special schools and looking at the entire state altogether uh, and to try and address those, um, Karen, those schools that have a capacity issue in working through um, through our, our, our operations in the States. Michael, do you want to say something? Uh, yes, just, just to add to what Michelle's already said, Karen, um, 
the this is about continuum of support. So this this the send backs from 2016 makes it very clear about putting the child and parents' wishes uh, at the centre. Gives them you know many more rights around mainstream education. So it would be wrong for us to jump ahead when we need to wait to see what parental preference is going to be like. So this will provide us with a broader continuum of support, enabling you know parents to look at uh, special schools, special mainstream and also mainstream schools within class support. So it's about strengthening that continuum rather than choosing one particular area over another. Thank you. I, I suppose uh, my concern would be, um, you know, as a, a reference there, the, the school and area, and I, I wouldn't have the exact figures, and it may be something that maybe some of you could come back to me on. Um, but if, if that was the case, and that's going to be our experience, it's certainly not what you would like to see replicated in our, all our areas, particularly in Belfast, when we are seeing that increase and we know that it's, that it's there. Chair, that's me. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Can I bring in Robin Newton, MLA? Uh, thank you, Chair. Can I thank the delegation from EA and from the Department for being with us today? It's, uh, I think this, this is a significant uh, piece of work uh, and obviously will shape the education for special needs pupils uh, and indeed for mainstream education uh, for the future. Can I just uh, ask a, a very simple beginning question? Who is head of special needs schools working from the Education Authority? And are they represented here today? Yes, uh, Chair. In January of 2020, uh, provision for special schools moved to the Education Directorate on a temporary basis, and I am the Director of Education responsible for the Education Directorate. Okay, so there's no one apart from you then uh, carrying out that task, is that? Oh, sorry, there's a team. I beg your pardon. Yes, yes it's, it's my Sorry, I, I was under the impression that there was someone who was specifically had the role of, of uh, being on the school premises and working with the school principals of special needs school. Is that the case? That's exactly right. Our current assistant director, Ruth Bell, is responsible for provision in special schools. Okay, uh, and Ruth's role would be then to speak with the special needs principals and so on, and presumably has raised and had discussions on this document with the special needs principals? Yes, as part of the 2018 consultation, that's exactly what happened. Yes, and met with all of the stakeholders at that time, I'm led to believe. Okay, okay, well, that, that, that's, that's good to hear that then, thank you. Can, can I just ask, um, reference was made to the, uh, a meeting, uh, a consultation with the principals and, uh, and uh, names given in, our schools named in, in the Belfast area, which obviously I would be particularly interested in. But the principals have a, a strategic leadership group. Uh, and I know that uh, many months ago, the members of the committee were extremely impressed uh, by uh, an informal meeting that they had probably back, back in April, I think it was, of, 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 of this year. Has the strategic principles group been consulted as a group on this document, or proposals really? Uh, yes, uh, Chair, with your permission, yes, Robin, they have been consulted and we meet very regularly with the strategic leadership 
uh, group for the special schools. Michael, do you want to? Uh, and uh, we'll be following that, that up. Uh, as we referenced, we, we have seconded a uh, special schools principal who's doing this focus group work for us. And part of that focus group is with the strategic leadership group for special school principals. Okay, so that's been a formal meeting with them. <laughs> a formal meeting. Uh, Okay. I was going to talk. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, yes, there, there will be a, a meeting with them as part of the consultation. Okay. There hasn't there hasn't yet been a formal meeting with the strategic leadership group. Not at present. Okay. All right. Sorry, Robin. If I could just clarify that, perhaps uh, specifically around this document, there hasn't been a formal meeting, but there are many meetings where the, these issues are discussed. Yeah. Uh, I think we were impressed because the, the strategic leadership group came together and although it was an informal meeting with, with, with members of the committee, uh, we were mightily impressed by the strategic thinking of, of, of that group uh, and uh, I think we came away from the meeting uh, concerned uh, and indeed, uh, our concern was that, uh, and I, I'm trying to think back to about April, but one of the major concerns, I think, coming out of that was a lack of consultation with them as a strategic leadership group. Um, okay, well, if yes. that, uh, I mean, it would only be my opinion, but I would have thought that that was a very good vehicle for, for consultation, but I, I leave that to yourselves. Can I, can I ask about best practice in England? And again, at, at, at that leadership group, uh, I'm trying to remember there was a professor who had produced some recent work uh, which was being hailed as, uh, as very good practice uh, to, to aim at. Uh, would it be that that best practice being accepted in England would be embodied into your document and strategy here? Yes, certainly that's what we're looking at. Not only England, we've actually made connections with uh, places in Scotland where we're looking at their best practice. And that's why we want to use these focus groups moving forward so that we can capture all of that and make sure that we have the best provision as part of this consultation. Okay, so best practice that is being implemented elsewhere will be implemented as part of this, this, this strategy, okay? Well, certainly looked at in terms of its appropriateness for Northern Ireland, yes. Yeah, okay. Can I ask then, certainly, and the Chair has already referred to it, a uh, previous document which did recommend, as far as I was concerned, quite strongly the provision of a new school in Belfast specifically for Belfast. Is that not certainly what would have been a building block for the new strategy to go forward? Would you not have accepted that that recommendation, which if my recollection is right, was quite a strong recommendation that Belfast needed, and you've indicated and you've produced the figures indicating the growth of need uh, for, for special school uh, pupils. Would that not have been a concrete block on which a foundation on which you would have built this strategy? I suppose I would turn to my DE colleagues there in terms of policy. Um, 
Robin, but certainly we can't preempt the outcome of this consultation, and, and that's where we are at the moment. I know, but you're, you're not even looking at the provision of a new school for Belfast at this stage. Uh, I'm not at this stage. Um, as I said earlier, this is the strategic overview, which will then allow us to do the operational work underneath. So as soon as we have approval for an agreement, uh, most importantly, with, with our parents and special schools and with our, you know, our principals uh, around this, that enables us then to look at what is the best way to meet demand. So, as, as Michelle's alluded to, to do anything at this stage would be to preempt the outcome of the, the consultation itself. Okay, so it might well be that as a part of the consultation that a new school would be recommended. Could well be, yes. Okay, all right. Can I finish then? Just uh, school transport obviously is a very controversial um, subject at the moment due to the health health crisis. You've indicated that there may be some savings uh, in school transport if you follow that. Have you any indication of what that might be? No, sorry, we don't. We're waiting on the responses from the consultation, so no, I can't give you any figure on that. Okay, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thanks, Robin. Daniel McCrossan. Uh, yeah, Chair, thank you very much, and thank you to uh, the panel uh, for their uh, contribution. I have to say I am quite frustrated in listening to this. Uh, eight years on from 2012, uh, and quite a lot of children uh, in a worsening situation, particularly given the warnings that were clearly outlined back then. Uh, if I was a Belfast MLA, I would be thumping through the wall for those children, because I do not believe that eight years later it is acceptable that, that uh, so many are being let down and it's been warned. And since that, the pupil population has grown by 20%. So there's a clear failure by the education authority uh, that is uh, so obvious. Uh, it really frustrates me that you can't comment on quite a lot of the questions been posed by previous members uh, so far because of the consultation process that is going to tell us what we were told eight years ago. But in terms of uh, questions, Chair, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to just ask this point. Many parents of children uh, who have attended special schools reported during this pandemic, I just want this question answered, feeling deserted by the statutory agencies, many not getting replies to concerns raised, and I can echo that because I found it very difficult to get clarification or support for people. What new plans does the Education Authority have to be more supportive uh, should there be future lockdowns or temporary closure of, of special schools in the future? And is there any alternative to blended learning? Because it clearly doesn't work. Have you solved the insurance problem? And can you explain uh, what, what the nature of the problem is uh, uh, to begin with? Because I always believe that the Education Authority was self-insured. Uh, yes, certainly. Um, we are working very closely with health, uh, with your permission, Chair, working very closely with health to try and address all of these issues. And in fact, just yesterday, we, we were having conversations about how we can actually improve some respite provision for children in special schools moving forward and, and try and put forward some bids to try and support that. In terms of the uh, special school principals, and we speak to them very, very regularly, they are doing their absolute best to support families at this very challenging time and have, have provided a lot of support and work and even just pastoral work to, to the families that, that attend their school. In terms of the uh, insurance, Daniel, I'm not quite sure what you're referencing. Classroom assistance, sorry. 
and, and relation to classroom assistance going to children's homes oh yes sorry that's that's correct and i am not aware of any progression in that area i know there uh, there are lots of discussions with our union colleagues at the moment but i'm not aware of a way forward through that but we continue to have those discussions and in terms of blended learning what we're looking for is uh, we're looking for uh, funding to try and put in place packages to support the children in our special needs uh, schools and we're working with ricky Irwin in the department in that area I appreciate your answers, but they're not sufficient, I'm afraid, to deal with the many concerns that I and people have right across uh, Northern Ireland. The pandemic is months on now, and many, many families have been left deserted and without support. And I uh, have personal experiences with this. My own sister, five-year-old child, non-verbal, no support whatsoever. When she's reached out for help and support from the various statutory agencies, no help or support provided. And even I, as MLA, have written to each of these relevant bodies and weeks on have had no reply. This is not acceptable. And we can say and talk around the houses about trying to resolve these issues, but at the core of this, there's young children being affected directly, particularly given that the warnings were there long before even the COVID pandemic in relation to the challenges that are faced. And I do not understand for the life of me what on earth is the issue. Uh, with the insurance around classroom assistance, DA is self-insured. Surely this is something that could be dealt with very quickly and swiftly that would alleviate the pressure on those families that are suffering. And I can tell you they are suffering uh, incredibly at this stage. Parents, particularly single mothers, are suffering from considerable mental health issues as a result of the pressure put on them during this pandemic because no support has been provided whatsoever. Uh, just in relation to uh, uh, another point, it would appear from the list of special schools on the school enhancement program that a lot of a lot will have to be achieved by 2024 you know it's, it's that would be optimistic in the most normal of times is it realistic uh, 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 even if no covid 19 had have happened i don't believe so given the time scales of previous uh, uh, events i also note that there are only two major capital works programs planned and I, I, and I note that another member of the colleague has mentioned that how do you propose to meet the growing SEN demand and ensuring quality within geographical areas with this programme, and also how the Education Authority intend to provide uh, for preschool and post-16 provision uh, need, uh, accommodation needs. Special schools have their enrolments increased by 20%, as I've already said, since 2015, and that has been echoed to the Education Authority for month, for years, in fact. What do you estimate will be the growth in the next five years? So a series of questions. What's going to happen with post-16 provision, uh, given the increase uh, in demand, uh, where do you estimate the growth to be in the next five years? Uh, and do you believe that the uh, school enhancement programme, uh, which, which uh, is very aspirational, uh, uh, is uh, realistic in terms of the timescale? Uh, to take your questions uh, with your permission, Chair, in terms of the post-16 uh, growth, and looking at the uh, nursery provision, we're working through all of that data and, and want to take a very regional strategic approach to that. And um, we're dependent on the consultation coming through, Daniel, to see what the outworkings of that are. In terms of the shared the SEP programmes, uh, special educational needs is a big priority for us. And you know it's part of our transformation programme. And our, our resources are going to be directed in this area to try and make short and medium term and long term changes as realistic as possible. Okay, and, and just in relation to the, the the key point around, just in relation to the key point around 
support for families. I can't stress this enough. I don't find it acceptable whatsoever that we're sitting in a situation waiting for the outworkings of a consultation. I hope, sincerely hope, I would believe it's not the case, but I hope it certainly is, that the Education Authority aren't sitting their hands and waiting for the results of this consultation. We already know what the issues are. Why aren't the Education Authority stepping up to the plate uh, to uh, tackle some of these issues. 2012 told us the story. Eight years later, this is only going to repeat. In fact, it's going to provide a brighter picture of a worsening situation and the failure of the Education Authority to act in relation to these matters. I can assure you, Daniel, we definitely aren't sitting on our hands and we're, we're making sure that everything is in place that when this consultation closes, we're ready to move. Okay, and just a final point, Chair, if you'll indulge me. In order to respond to the increased demand for special school places, is the Education Authority considering greater employment and expenditure delegation to our special school principals in order to allow them to innovate and respond more creatively? Similarly, has the education, the, similarly, the Education Authority sees a significant increase in specialist provision in mainstream schools as highly desirable and intends to run a pilot, which appears to have its core, at its core the intention of removing the need for a development proposal before establishing the specialist provision. I note you have set out the criteria for determining whether the pilot was or has been successful or not. Will the Education Authority share that with this committee uh, and will these criteria be simply based on speed provision. Certainly, Daniel, I'll ask my colleagues to, to respond to that. Uh, well, uh, yes, in relation to, to the pilot, absolutely. We, we'll be more than happy to share. Uh, we have already agreed that we will be writing a report based on the pilot, and we'll be sending that through to the Department of Education. Okay. Uh, I have to say, uh, Chair, Chair, I'll leave it at this point. Uh, I appreciate that we're in a pandemic, and I appreciate that there's work to be done, but I have parents literally crying out for support, and I'm going to continue to echo on that. I've had mothers on the phone in tears. I had another mother with three children with special educational needs at breaking point. I don't believe enough is being done, and we shouldn't be waiting for the results of consultations or anything else. We need to be moving now. We know what this is going to tell us. We know what the consultation is going to say. So why are the Education Authority not moving sooner? I'm asking, I'm making this plea, honestly, in the phone call that over this pandemic, particularly in the last few weeks, to please do whatever possible to support those families, particularly those single parents with SEN children that have no support whatsoever, that can't go to grandparents because of the issues of vulnerability and other things, that are left with uh, children with severe complex need that need your help now. And that, that is the key point that the Education Authority need to step up to. And, and, and I'm not saying that lately, and I'm not being overly critical. I'm, I'm happy to do that. Thank, thank you, Daniel. Robbie Butler, MLA. Thanks, Robbie. Yep. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Cool, guys. Okay, sorry about this. I'm just working from one screen, and it's a bit hard. Uh, listen, like, most of the members have already asked all the questions. Um, I, I would just echo the, what the chair had said at the start, that one of my uh, specific concerns, if you like, is in around the scope of the consultation consultations, because I think without um, some um, idea of the budgetary constraints, and, and there will be budgetary constraints, um, so can I just get clarity that there has been no guidance from the minister and from the department with regard to what may or may be in or out of scope? 
with regard to uh, spe specifically probably the area planning because given the, the furor around um, the talk of the amalgamation of schools in Belfast previously and I'd say that that may or may not be on the table or off the table at this stage um, obviously the, the consequential financial costs um, will have, will have, are bound to have been part of some tabletop exercise could I get any uh, clarification around that guys? Thanks, Robbie. Um, Chair, with your permission, just again, I don't want to preempt the outcome of a consultation. I appreciate that things have been uh, stipulated in the past and recommendations have been made and to go back to recommendations which are eight years old. And I won't rehearse what we've already said in terms of the time frame, but we are now in a position where we have collaborative working within the Education Authority that have brought forward this framework and we need to make sure that parents and children, who, this is for children uh, rather than institutions, so we need to make sure that the framework we have for both special schools and specialist provision in mainstream schools is what children and parents and principals need. So I couldn't possibly attach a budget to any of that until we know what those key beneficiaries of any outworkings of this would have to say. We need people to come with us on this. We need people to buy into this. To go ahead and attach a budget would preempt the outcome of any of this consultation. And that's why it's vitally important that we consult quickly in an up-to-date way. And just to say as well, in terms of from a wider area planning perspective, um, in my directorate, the vast majority of my team were redeployed to COVID-19 work. And I won't rehearse the 24-7 working that went on during that period. The only area that was instructed not to be stood down was area planning for special schools. All other area planning work was stood down to allow ourselves and all our education partners to respond to the COVID-19 emergency, which we did. But the area planning for special schools and specialist provision schools was not stood down. And that was the one area that we prioritised in terms of area planning. So to, to attach a simple number with a pound sign in front of it just would, would undermine the whole consultation process. And it's so important that we get the input from the, from the staff, the principals, the classroom assistants, but most importantly, the children and the parents to make sure before we put a spade in the ground anywhere that the framework under which we're working is what's needed. Okay, thank you for that. I just want to, um, at this stage, distance myself from some of the comments that have been made so far with regard to um, the, the purpose of the consultation. Uh, I know that a lot of work had been done previously, but with three years without uh, leadership, political leadership, um, uh, has probably made the need for an up-to-date consultation even, uh, even more important. Um, but uh, I have a real issue with consultations, even in my previous background, where senior management and some of the uh, services that I worked in uh, used conversations, uh, casual conversations, as a, as a way of saying that it consulted and we met with uh, the, the, the principals of the Belfast schools. But I'm from Lagan Valley, and there are a number of schools in, in, in the Lisburn Lagan Valley area. Um, and I would be keen uh, to get view of what, a, con what a, a, a really good consultation process looks like so that when, when we're talking to the principals of all of our schools that, that we try and represent and champion and that when we talk to the parents, as Daniel pointed out, who are, are, you know, are, are, fit, are, are really struggling um, with what they perceive to be inequalities, in some cases they are, that a consultation process 
is not just two-way, but the, everybody can say we have been consulted. I mean, you, you will know, guys, that uh, and it's been this whole COVID pandemic, and, and particularly in education, we have unions, we have rep bodies, and we have ministers saying different things about what constituted consultation, and it's not actually that hard to define. I mean, if the parameters for that can be set up and, and confidence given for that, then I think it gives the consultation process um, not just clarity, but would give everybody a little bit of confidence. I do accept what you say about the budget. Uh, I quite like that. Except to say that um, what needs to be bottomed out at the start is a blue sky thinking and are we genuinely looking at a transformation of the sector and then we're not giving people um, too much hope because what I would hate to happen is that that, that, that there isn't um, that there isn't sort of some sort of uh, um, uh, maturity put to it and said, look, um, uh, yeah, yeah, we want to do our very best, and you came up with these ideas, but you know something, we can't deliver that because here's the budget. And and and, and what you guys have, have talked about at the start, obviously, is I think there's a 20% rise in special education needs um, provision, which is predicted to rise further. Um, so obviously, uh, the, the bean counters will be looking at efficiency, but as politicians and as parents and as teachers, we're less concerned uh, with those issues. So I think um, that's more of a statement than a question, guys. You're probably probably pretty glad of that. I, I just want to put on record, too, that actually throughout this pandemic, um, the team there, and they'll get sick of me saying this, perhaps, and perhaps you won't, uh, but I have found actually with EA with regard to more recently, access for help, access for answers, um, uh, actually quite good. And, and I know that they're, they're working through uh, some difficult uh, historic stuff and I look forward to the completion of that, guys. I have just one more question, sure. If I, I just need to switch screens here. If, if, um, if 30 seconds, go ahead. <laughs> 30, 30 seconds, okay. Um, Okay, so I sort of hinted at it. So in order to respond to the increased demand for special school places, is the Education Authority considering greater employment and expenditure um, for special schools, or does that sit outside of scope um, at, at this point? Um, Robbie, with the Chair's permission, yes, as part of the consultation, that's what we're consulting in, but we're already looking at the provision for next year, and we know that uh, further investment will be required, so we're looking into that at the moment. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thanks, Robbie. I think we have William Humphrey, MLA. Thanks, Chairman. Um, good morning, everyone, and thanks for your, your time and participation this morning. Um, we're dealing here with hugely significant and important issues to the education of our young people, some of the most vulnerable young people in Northern Ireland, so it's hugely important that we get this right. And I can understand and share the frustration that um, colleagues and, indeed, principals of schools uh, share around this issue. Yesterday, colleagues and I met with some of the principals from uh, the special schools uh, in Belfast, and I think it's absolutely important that um, I share some of the views that they had with you and their concerns around this, because quite honestly, we were shocked at the views we heard, and some of them are stark, and they're not comfortable um, uh, listening for the education authority, I have to tell you. I mean, um, some of the views expressed were, uh, we're not sure what this area of planning is about. Uh, they're querying and concerned about the timing uh, of this uh, particular piece of work. There's a concern that this is a paper exercise. And these are direct quotes that I wrote down. Uh, area planning going ahead, although it hasn't been agreed. And they also said that the they, they are being under the Education Directorate, 
instead of the CYPS has made no difference whatsoever. Now, given that there are pressures growing uh, with the 20% rise that all our colleagues have made reference to, uh, given the serious um, numbers of young people who weren't placed um, start of the academic year, potentially, uh, the work that had to be done around that, very, very clear that there is a new school needed in this city now. And I know my constituency was the uh, one of the constituencies being discussed for siting in that school. But regardless of where it's cited, it is needed now. These schools are bursting at the seams and do not have the, the facilities and the resource. Uh, and it's only by the, the hard work and dedication of those principals and their staff that they're able to provide the education, uh, the valued education that these young people receive. So can I ask around those issues, how can you provide reassurance to us as a committee this morning given the points that I just raised with you. But more importantly, how can you provide reassurance to the school principals who we met yesterday, to the parents of the young people uh, who uh, are attending those schools, or more importantly, even still, for the young people uh, who potentially will be looking to go into these schools in the years to come? Certainly with your permission, Chair. In, in terms of the timing issue, uh, we, we felt it important <clears throat> at this time I think Michael's already covered that response and, and there's no good time to do this particularly during the pandemic but we need to move it most certainly isn't a paper exercise and I have actually met with the special school principals at least three times uh, to discuss this matter with them and to discuss their, their um, concerns and we've actually drawn up a very clear action plan uh, that addresses their short-term needs immediately in terms of the support that they need and the training that they need and the links with health that they need right now and we're working on that. We, um, the area planning has not been agreed in terms of that's what the consultation is and that's why we've used a, a, a employed a seconded a special school principal to make sure that those voices are heard and to give that reassurance and I mean having spoken to the special school principals they welcome that inclusion and they welcome having their voice heard and, and that's a direct quote from special school principals. Well, I have to say, you know, the, the reality is that um, having heard their concerns, they're on the coal face, they're dealing with these, these issues on a day-to-day -day basis. Some of them in school buildings that are simply not and have not been for some time fit for purpose. Um, it, it is our duty uh, to represent their views, having met them yesterday, but it's also our duty to represent uh, the, the concerns of our constituents who present themselves at our offices around these issues with education uh, and special educational needs for their, 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 their children and young people. That, that is hugely important. And I have to tell you, there's either a breakdown of communication here or there is no trust. But I have to say, I am uh, not reassured by what I've heard today. There is a huge job of work that needs to be done between the Education Authority and those school principals, and I can only speak for this city uh, in terms of uh, the provision there and the views and the concerns that we heard yesterday, because I have to tell you, there's a gulf between what you're saying to us this morning and what we heard yesterday, and I'll leave it there, Chairman. Thanks, William. Uh, can I bring in Justin McNulty, MLA? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Michelle, Michael, Una, um, Janice, Lorena, and Brenda, for your evidence today. 
Um, as mentioned by other members, the, we met with the principals yesterday, and some of the information they gave us was uh, stark and concerning. Um, one, one issue they raised was the, the drive towards, the words they used was the overwhelming drive towards creating a homogenous provision for children and young people with a sort of one-size-fits-all approach to um, special education. How, how is that feasible, given the, the, the very diverse uh, challenges that young people and children have across their education system? How, how, does that, how can you reconcile that, that statement from the principles we met yesterday? Uh, with your permission, Chair, Justin, you're absolutely right. The children with special educational needs are very complex challenges, and one size is not going to fit all. And what we need to do is take the, the findings of this consultation, but again, in reference to other comments made, we need to look at the research and we need to look at the best practice and we need to find a model that fits Northern Ireland at this time. And the, the needs are so complex. And to put children into uh, categories and to put schools into categories is not going to meet our need. We need to have a more inclusive and agile and flexible system. Would you not think that's a huge concern where the principals who are at the call this who see the challenges that are being faced on a daily basis have that perception that the approach being adopted? Is that not something that should be yeah, a red, red flag? Yeah. Yes, it is. It is, Justin, and that's why we're working very closely with those focus groups. Sorry, Anna, do you want to say something? Yes, I would, I would say I, I understand the frustration of the principals having worked through this over the last six months. And an attempt to place children in appropriate provision um, to meet the needs. It has been extremely difficult. Um, it is going to be more difficult. We know already that the the demand on places come September is going to be greater than it was even in September, September 2020. So we have a serious challenge and I absolutely understand the frustration of principals given that they have, um, they have gone the extra mile in trying to use the space within their schools to the absolute max in order to accommodate um, children and also to acknowledge the, the contribution of the mainstream principals um, who work with us to set up 29 additional classes at very short notice. Now we are trying out an evaluation in relation to those 29 tasks um, and that, that contribution evaluation will contribute to the, to the information that we have and will help us to make decisions. But the most important thing is that children are individually accommodated. It's not going to happen overnight. This we need to, we are working at pace, but this is not well, this is not going to be a problem that's going to be resolved easily. And um, from from my predictions and certainly looking at the numbers coming through, we have another two years at least of growing demand, and that's based on the number of children who are going to leave. Um, and then there's a slight decline in the numbers that we're expecting to make in terms of those five year students. But this needs to be done at pace. Um, it is a, it's a particular challenge and not only the education authority will have to work alongside our department colleagues and with the voluntary community sectors and with all others in terms of fitting in where we can early interventions and um, looking to see creatively about how we can find a solution to this, to this um, serious problem. Okay, thank you. In terms of, you know, you've been a serious bit of work in terms of all the impact. 
assessment of, of the provisions available. Um, the, the primary schools with special specialist provision are 62 out of a total number of 794. The post-primary schools with special specialist provision are 31 out of a total number of 193. So 93 schools out of 100, or sorry, 93 schools out of 987 total schools have a specialist provision. Given given the demands, given the increased uh, numbers year on year over the last five years, um, is it not sensible to have a greater provision within mainstream schools to help tackle and address the, the growing numbers and to maybe um, remove the, the necessity to have new bills for, of special, special schools? Is, not, is that not something worth exploring? We're only 9.4% of schools at the moment have specialist provision. Yes, with your permission, Chair Justin, that's why as part of this consultation, we're looking at the use of development proposals to try and move this process much more effectively. That was quite a long process. And if it's part of this consultation that goes through, that will be a massive achievement for us. And that means that we can set up provision in mainstream schools in a, in a much more flexible and agile way. Maybe Janice wants to say something more on that. Yes, thanks, Michelle. And again, with your permission, Chair, um, the whole purpose of these separate consultations, one is very specific to special schools and one is very specific to specialist provision in mainstream schools. And Michael has already talked about the pilot. Um, so yes, the purpose for having such a pilot, looking at specialist provision in mainstream schools is in itself an acknowledgement that more specialist provision of the right type and in the right location at the right time is is worked on and is delivered we then enter into or under ordinary circumstances we would require a development proposal which we all know takes quite some time so the purpose of the pilot running alongside the consultation on specialist provision in mainstream schools is to allow us a much more flexible an agile way to be able to provide the right provision to those children who need it at the right time and in the right location without having to get into a lengthy development proposal process. But we do need to be able to assess that by way of a pilot to make sure that we're testing an authenticity of a process in order to deliver it. Once that's done, the delivery of that then becomes much more agile and much more flexible to be able to react and provide need. Because this is, as Una and Brenda will say, this is very much demand-led in terms of children with, with additional needs. So we need to be able to meet that demand in an agile way. So by delivering that pilot and, and through this consultation on specialist provision in mainstream schools, that's what we're working towards. Okay, I have two extraordinary special schools in my own constituency, Thor here in Newry and uh, Lytton Alley in Armagh, and the community around those schools, the compassion and the passion of the teachers and the commitment of the whole community around those schools is just extraordinarily, powerfully warm and wonderful. Um, Lytton Alley Special School has been uh, puts um, forward for a school enhancement programme, but does it need a new build? Justin, I would also direct you into uh, the ECPD unit in St Mark's High School in, in Warren Point as well, because that's an excellent provision and a clear example of how children with special needs can be educated in a, in a mainstream school yeah. and very inclusively. 
And in terms of, of speaking specifically about schools, again, this is all part of the consultation and hopefully as the results come out of this, we'll be able to look at that in the bigger. Okay, so Smart says, yes, I've heard one of the things where Smart was actually not, not in, say, my consistency. The last thing I wanted to say was there are 29 schools, special schools with post-16 provision. Surely that's a major, major shortfall. So many families are coming to me really struggling with their young people, their children and young people after 16. 29 schools with post-16 provision. Is that, is that reasonably acceptable? And that's why the consultation, sorry, with the Chair's Commission is, is the 3 to 19 model to make sure that those children go into school and that there's no concern or agitation or worry about where these children are going to be. And there needs to be a more joined up approach to provision at post-16. Yes, Justin, you're absolutely right. That's part of the consultation. And just finally, sorry, one last thing. I know it's not necessarily specifically related to this, this subject matter, but parents have been in touch with me this week in relation to the impact of this pandemic on their children's access to, to special education. What's your assessment of where that's at and how, how, are you, how aware of you are of the families who are really, really struggling? We're very aware, Justin, of the families that are struggling. And I know Una may want to say some things here, but we're working very closely with the schools and we're working very closely with the school principals to put that support in place. And I know Una, you maybe want to say something about the services. Yeah, I, I suppose, Chair, it is, it is very difficult for families who in this situation. And as soon as the decision is made to close schools as part of COVID, that, that removes what is the, the respect actually for families that 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 is is normally in place for them and creates a huge pressure on the families. Now I do know that 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 whilst there are families out there who are, who are really struggling, um, the core respite services are provided by the, the health and social care trusts. And I know from working with them and talking to them, they are working hard to try and support families to the best of their ability. And we also are using our people support services to make contact with families. Um, they're, make, they're, they're phoning families, whereas normally they would be providing services directly to the schools and to the teachers. They're actually making a lot of their contacts are actually directly with families, supporting families. Our behaviour support service is, is in direct contact with families. Uh, so we are we are doing, I suppose, to the best of our ability, um, what we can, but we are limited. We are limited in what we can, what we can achieve uh, by the very nature of the, and the capacity of, of our services. Um, the need out there again is outstripping um, our, our ability to support the families in the way that they really do need. Um, so it is important that we work collaboratively with, with our health and social care colleagues um, and with other, other sectors to make sure that those families who are most in need um, and do not have the family support potentially that, that others have, that, that they get that support. Um, it's difficult. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Justin. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Uh, briefly, Una and, and other officials, um, the committee took evidence from um, organisations and parents of children with special educational needs and challenging behaviour very recently. The, um, the extent of contingency provision for those children during COVID was referred to as an insult to the humanity of children with special educational needs and challenging behaviour. And I, I think you're aware of our concerns in that regard. Briefly, final questions from, from me. Um, he, Justin raised the issue of post-16 provision and the response was that's why um, the proposals are 3 to 19. We've, uh, the issue of budgets has been well rehearsed here, but how do you expect parents 
or practitioners to say yes, make all special schools 3 to 19 when there is no proposal for what those schools would look like or how they would be resourced? That, that's part of the current model, uh, Chris, and, and that's what has to be looked at in, in the round. And, and I can't speak to budget and resource, and I know Janice has addressed that. All we can do is consult on it and, and look at the best way forward. Okay. And what, what, can, can you take a quick moment to make the case for why all special schools should be 3 to 19? Uh, sorry, just to be clear, it's not all schools that should be 319. That's the model. But as we talked about the complexities, there may need to be some variations in that. So it's just just that that, that is the model that we're working towards, and we're welcome to all open to all suggestions around that. But there will have to be some differences and some some exceptions to that. Okay, right. That's somewhat confusing. However, I also very briefly want to ask Una. Um, Una, you had the extremely difficult job of finding places for I think at one stage hundreds of special school pupils that were unplaced um, after the end of the academic year last year. How, how will these proposals um, help address that unacceptable situation? We have 285 children who didn't have places at the end of June. Um, we are working very closely together now. Um, across all of our directors to identify those children um, who need places in, in September coming through. Um, and we know the demand is going to be um, increased and the challenge is going to be increased. Um, we will, there, there will have to be interim solutions found for September 2021 in the same way as we found for, for, this, for this year. Uh, I suppose this strategy is about, uh, it is about the medium to longer term. And um, we do need, I think it's been alluded to, there's no doubt that we need a range of different provisions to meet the very, the, the range of complex needs um, that, that, that children um, are experiencing. Um, and that includes uh, increasing the capacity within mainstream schools, um, learning support units, those autism specific um, units, and increasing capacity through um, physical capacity within special schools where that is possible and unfortunately for a lot of special schools even to add additional capacity um, onto their sites is actually problematic. Okay, um, obviously Education Authority was also um, consulting in relation to send early years provision as well and call, which caused particular controversy um, by proposing to reduce the nursery hours provision um, to 15 hours per week. Um, can you provide us with any update in relation to the, the SEN early years framework, and in particular any work to restore nursery hours to full time? Um, sure, I, I would take that one. I think in the previous committee I had, I had indicated that we had received consultation responses and that I personally hadn't had time um, over the summer to go through those. I now have read all of the consultations. We have over 250 consultations, and of those, 44 are, are comprehensive um, responses um, written in, in, in detail. So at, at this point in time, what I'm doing is I'm preparing a report to outline what, the, what those um, consultees came back and have provided um, to us. 
there are a range of issues that have been raised and we will have to take them seriously. Um, you know, uh, but that information and that report will be available um, certainly by the time that the, the closure of the consultation in relation to the, um, the, the area plan. Would it not need to be available before the closure of that consultation, given that pertains to three to nineteen provision? Yes, it will. It will be. It certainly will be. But I think what we have to do is analyse that information and in that consultation alongside the analysis that comes back from the the consultation within area plan. But certainly, I would expect to have it in the next, you know, within the next few weeks. Okay, uh, Daniel McCrossan has a raised hand here. Daniel, I'm going to indulge you with the shortest question you've ever asked, and if it's not the shortest question you've ever asked, you might not get in again for a while. I'm taking a chance. Go for it. You're on mute. <laughs> You're on mute. <laughs> That's not often I'm on mute, Chair. <laughs> uh, first, I want to acknowledge that the problems that we're facing are not of the making of the people that we're dealing with today, but it is within your gift to resolve them, and that's what we're urging uh, more than anything. Just to make a point, if, if you are given the agility to put special units in mainstream schools without developing proposals, how do you intend getting teachers, the qualified teachers and professionals, to fill uh, those particular roles uh, in a short space of time? Because that would be a big concern that I would have. Yeah. With the Chair's permission. Uh, the implementation plan would have a heavy focus on professional development and we have a lot of expertise across our system Daniel and in particularly in our special schools so there would be a, a clear opportunity here for the sharing of best practice and that professional development building okay well done okay thank uh, you officials uh, thank you very much indeed for your evidence today there's obviously a lot of issues to work through there and we look forward to remaining in contact with you on on all of them thank you Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Okay, can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove all witnesses and add all members back into the spotlight and ask the clerk to summarise any actions or requests resulting from the briefing? So, Chair, uh, as uh, Broadcasting are just re adding members and removing witnesses, um, now this is where uh, members keep me right. Um, I suspect that what the committee wants to do is write to the Education Authority indicating its uh, remaining concerns about the timing of the consultation and the absence of effective engagements. Um, is it also the case, Chairperson, that members want to indicate their dissatisfaction with the quality of the answers today? Members? Yeah. Can I, I maybe just, just frame that slightly differently, Chair? <laughs> um, the Education Authority document on page 42, or page 42, and there page 16, indicates that the Education Authority wants to be transparent um, and needs to bring increased clarity and transparency in terms of how parents and professionals access the full range of special education support provision available. In terms of how this exercise is being conducted, Chair, it just doesn't seem to me, and William, I think, very effectively made the point about the lack of transparency that there appears to be. Uh, and maybe that is a communication issue, um, but it, it certainly is a frustrating area. Any other members want to come in on that briefly? Chair, can I just say, um, 
Is it okay? Can you hear me okay? Yes, yes William. I, I just think, I mean, for those of us who were at the meeting yesterday, look, what we've just heard this morning, there's a gulf from what we've heard this morning and what we heard yesterday, to be honest. And that concerns me greatly because um, the principals are on the cool face day in, day out, working uh, with these young people in some cases, buildings that are not fit for purpose. They, they were clearly looking for clarity and certainty. Uh, they weren't convinced of the need uh, for the, the they're, they're not, well, that's not right. They were not convinced of the timing of the exercise at the moment um, and what the purpose of it was. So it, clearly there's an issue about communication. Um, there's also an issue and an urgency around timing. These things need to be happening very quickly because of those pressures, which are not going to be reduced. They're going to increase and have been increasing. And I just think, I mean, I, I was struck by the, the, the gulf of what we heard today as, as compared to what we heard yesterday. Uh, um, I, I just think there's a massive problem, not least uh, in terms of communication there. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Uh, members, in, in response to Clark, perhaps um, the, the, the correspondents can, can ask EA how they have specifically consulted with special school principals and what their plan is for further enhanced consultation with special school principals, indeed co-production and co-design with special schools principals in relation to um, not only the model for special schools, but the, the area plan for special schools estates. Have mem members want to amend that or, or add anything to that? Chair, yes, I suppose it's, it's looking at the evidence rather than getting the answers Three. that we got today. Yeah. But, um, yes, meetings happened. Um, yes, so it's the evidence um, just in relation to all of that because as William, William, William rightly pointed out, um, you know, both meetings that we've had, communication has come up. Um, I just find it astonishing that the expertise is there and it's they're not um, involved in the way that they should be. Yeah. And, and also members can tend to add on, on what specific reference to the specific evidence for the proposed 3 to 19 model. Yeah. Even though when I asked about it, I was told not all schools might have to adopt it, which was quite confusing as well. But okay, we need to keep moving. Members, any other brief points to add? Clark, do you want to come in at that point? Members are happy then. It's just it's to indicate um, their concerns around the timing, engagement, and purpose of the consultation. Um, to pick up on the deputy chair's point about and the Mr. Humphrey's point about um, the specificity around. Um, how they've consulted with the special school principals and also um, exploring this about the, the gulf between um, understanding and apparent gulf of trust between the education authority and the principals and the need for clarity and transparency as indicated in the document. Um, I think it's the committee also urging um, the education authority, I think they are, to formally engage with the strategic leadership group. Yep. Agreed. And then additionally, you're also asking them about the model, the evidence for the model, and what yep. model are they actually consulting on? Because as the chair's just indicated, I thought it was three to 19 all schools, but mm. apparently that's not the case. Um, furthermore, the deputy chair asked a couple of questions about the um, projected increase. Officials initially said they couldn't tell us, and then they said they were looking into this and they knew. So maybe 
we asked that question again about the projected increase in demand for special schools. Um, they uh, also ask about the time scale for the implementation of any um, revised model. Robbie, is that why you're shaking your head as well? Okay. Well, I, I, I might be partly responsible because my mic's open, but I did raise my hand a few minutes ago, but I'll, I'll close it here just, just, just to come in. Uh, yeah, I'll, bring, I'll, bring, I'll bring you in once the clerk's finished, just the updated summary of the request. So in I couldn't hear it. I can't, I can't make it do what the clerk's saying. It's breaking up. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, if I sit a little closer to the microphone, hopefully it's a bit better, Robbie, so that in addition to all of those things, which were about indicating concern, um, urging the education authority to uh, engage formally with the strategic leadership group, asking about the projected increase, asking for clarity about this three to 19 model or whatever it is. Also asking about the time scale and the savings that are expected around implementation of whatever the revised model is. Seeking sight of the criteria for the, um, the, the evaluation of the pilots and also seeking sight of the 2018 consultation report which Miss um, Turbot referred to at the end. And then in addition to that, um, I'll go back to raise, I think the committee, because Mr. Newton hit on this as well, the committee had previously asked for a paper about the Carpenter and Rochford reviews, and every time we meet the special school principals, they keep talking about it. So I'll go back on that. I think a lot of these things stopped because of um, COVID, but charity members are interested in that, and that might inform their understanding. So I think writing to EA on all those things, seek an update. Um, paper from uh, Ray's on those other reviews and the other jurisdictions and I think that was all I had chairperson. Okay, members agreed? Agreed. agreed. Bobby. Okay, thank you. Uh, Robbie, sorry, did you want to come back in there briefly? <coughs> muted. Yeah. You're, you're muted. Robbie, take that mute off there. Thanks. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Chair. Yeah. Uh, the, the point that I'd raised around, and then around consultation, I think it'd be remiss of us if we didn't ask for the definition of what constitutes consultation, not just with the school leaders, but with the families and, and the voice of the pupils, because it is it does become a tick box exercise, uh, as we know, across all sort of facets of, of society, especially in terms of public service. So I would genuinely like to know what their definition of, of consultation um, is constituted by. Okay. Okay, agreed. Yeah. Uh, Chair, can I just make a point? William, yes. Um, yeah. I think the other thing is, I know a number of members pushed Janice. I can understand Janice's reluctance to commit to money uh, on the basis that she needs the information from the uh, EA. But one, one thing that would be particularly cruel and just wrong is in, in this consultation, if the consultation is done on their recommendations, and there isn't the money there to put this new school in place or make enhancements to schools that are existing. That would be devastating for these schools. So I think um, we need to pursue that line as well around the money issue. Yes, so we've got the, uh, the October monitoring round briefing um, to move on to now. Members, can I propose a very, very short uh, comfort break um, and then we'll return to the October monitoring briefing. Members agreed? Yep. Agreed. Thank you. Thanks. Just okay, members. We're back in formal session then, and agenda item six is the October. Chair, before we go to that, do you yep. want to go to Daniel? Sorry, Daniel. Did you want to come in there before we go to our next briefing? I ask uh, broadcasting to Adam to the show. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, it's just in relation to. A question I pose to the Education Authority. 
I think we, the committee should request details of the big uh, professional development programme to upskill teachers to support children with SEN in the new units, simply because we've never heard of this before, any detail around it, and I'm a wee bit um, concerned that it may not actually exist. Okay, members content for the clerk to add that to the correspondence we're submitting to the Education Authority, yeah? Yeah. Okay, agreed, thanks. Okay, members then, agenda item six is the Department of Education oral briefing on the October monitoring round and budget gathering exercise. Can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove all members from the spotlight and add witnesses? Can I refer members to a cover note from the committee clerk at page 183? The original Department of Education October monitoring submission plus revised tables at page 191. DE's 2021-24 budget information at page 199. DE correspondence to the Committee for Health in respect of COVID support at page 230. And restricted correspondence relating to indemnification issues at page 234. Can I welcome Gary Fair, the Finance Director, at the Department of Education, Neil Palmer, Head of Budgeting Team, Department of Education, and Philip Irwin, Investment and Infrastructure Director, Department of Education. By way of welcome, can I uh, say that the COVID-19 pandemic has obviously had uh, extremely challenging impacts on society, the economy, governance, and particularly education. Northern Ireland has been no exception to that and considerable amounts of additional finance have been needed by the department in order to support different ways of working and learning during lockdown and restart. It is consequently, consequently quite difficult to work out where we are in terms of spending and it is therefore opportune to have official before us today to tell us about October monitoring and the more speculative budget work which was undertaken for period 2021 to 24-25, in particular in respect of planned capital spending. Can I advise the witnesses that the committee will be able to give you 10 to 15 minutes to make an opening statement, which will be followed by questions from members. Over to you, Gary. Can I just check? You can hear us okay? We can, yes. Thanks. Yeah, great. Thank you very much for inviting us along. Um, I suppose what I, what I was going to propose doing at the outset was talking through, under the various headings, the bids and allocations that have happened this year. It's been, I acknowledge it's been an, an unusual year in respect of bids and allocations that have been met, and therefore probably even the briefing that we tried to be helpful in providing you with may have caused some confusion. So I'm just going to talk through under three headings for for both June monitoring and October monitoring, the COVID-related bills, COVID response-related pressures, the um, restart pressures, and the normal October monitoring round pressures and bids, and what we got. So if you're content, I'll just run through those by way of introduction, Thanks. and then I'm happy to take some questions. And uh, there weren't any capital bids, so I'll not pass over to Philip in terms of in -year, the in-year position. And then once I've taken questions on that, I can then just, uh, we can have a brief conversation then about the future year's exercise and take any questions. Uh, and I'll pass over to Philip at that point on the capital, future year capital pressures and bids. Thank you. Is that okay? Yes, thanks. Okay. So 
Um, I can't remember the last time I was up with you. I think it might have been after June monitoring, but there there has just been so much activity, and we haven't really stuck to the normal monitoring rounds for bids and highlighting pressures. So the position really at June monitoring uh, was we had our normal bids identified. We actually bid for in the normal monitoring round we bid for fifty seven point six million in total. That covered areas such as teaching and non-teaching pay awards where uh, the Minister hadn't been able to allocate the full amount, so the residual pressure there was 32 million. The voluntary exit scheme for this year, now there's no funding coming in the North, there's no major voluntary exit scheme this year. Really what is included there is about two and a half million, which will cover really only essential voluntary exits this year. Um, Education Authority pressures. Now, in, in June monitoring, the main pressure that we were identifying there was a rates pressure, because there was an 11% increase in the rates across the education estate. So it was 5.3 million we were bidding for. School maintenance is always a pressure, because we're never able to allocate the full amount that the Education Authority estimate that they require in any year. Um, so we were bidding for an extra 4 million. Mental health and emotional well-being framework, we bid for 5 million. And the childcare strategy, we bid for six million, and the education transformation program, two point eight million. So that totaled fifty-seven point six million. Of that, we received we only received uh, three point one million towards the rates pressure to the education authority. So that's the kind of standard June monitoring pressures, bids, and what was allocated process. Now, actually, prior to June monitoring, because the lockdown happened coming near the end of March. We were asked to very quickly identify um, where, where we might face certain pressures as a result of COVID-19. Now, it was difficult. It was quickly done and in association with the Education Authority and other arm's length bodies. So it was a fairly quick exercise. We, at that point, highlighted pressures of 68.6 million. Now, that related to direct payments to families for free school meals, which you'll be aware of, 29 million. The extension of free, free school meals to youth, 0.6 million. Emergency, emergency childcare provisions, 24.9 million. And then an amount for substitute teachers uh, to compensate them for lost income. So, uh, so 68.6 we bid for. We got a total of 35.3 million, which were specifically COVID 19 response um, allocations. And that was 18.9 towards the free school meals direct payments, 0.4 towards the extension of free school meals to youth, uh, emergency child care provisions we got 12 million and 4 million for substitute teachers. Now that uh, complemented 8 million that the minister had set aside from within the original budget at the start of the year to cover that because it kind of coincided with his budget decisions around about that time. Now, subsequent to that, we surrendered nine million at October monitoring. Nine million of the um, trying to remember which one it really it related to the childcare provision. All of it wasn't required because there was less uptake than was anticipated, and we also surrendered the four million for the substitute teachers because again the uptake from memory was about six million, and the minister had already set aside eight million. So we gave back 13 million, but it wasn't until October monitoring. Now then, round about the same time as June monitoring, 
we were asked to uh, identify further COVID-19 response pressures. So at that time, we again, uh, well, the amount looked similar, but it, it covered different areas. 68.6 million in total we bid for. That covered uh, 1.6 million. That was anticipated lost income by boarding schools. 13 million for childcare, really to um, provide support to the childcare sector over the summer period. Summer intervention and uh, support for children and learning, really over the summer period, 12.8 million. EA maintenance, we bid for 2.8 million at that point. Now that was linked more to the, the additional pressure on schools to maintain cleanliness, etc., water sanitizing, etc., uh, and signage, things like that. And education authority pressures linked to the COVID-19 of 7 million, and that was probably largely linked to PPE equipment at that stage. Education Restart Programme Initial Staff Cost, that was the programme that was established to oversee the whole restart process uh, involving the various stakeholders. We bid for 0.8 million. That was largely staffing costs. Preschool meals for the summer period, 12.2 million. Preschool meals for the September to October period, 9.7 million. Additional help for Pathway, that's organisations that maybe weren't successful this year, but it was to ensure that they remained viable, uh, given, given the fact that there was a lockdown. Pressures uh, in the preparatory school sector, uh, largely linked to lost income there. School uniform grants, four million. Um, and that was mainly linked to, I suppose, the increase in the universal credit applications as a result of people losing their jobs, etc., and going on to universal credit. And then an amount for voluntary grammar and GMI lost canteen income. So that's total 68.6 million. We were successful in getting 35.9 million out of that exercise. And that related to 10.5 towards childcare, 12.4 towards the summer intervention and to support children and learning, and 0.5 towards PPE uh, EA pressure and 12.2 towards free school meals over the summer period and 0.3 towards uh, school uniform grants. So that was a total of 35.9. So that was that brought us up to round about the June monitoring period of time. Then moving on to October monitoring, I'm going to cover restart separately. It more or less coincided with the October monitoring round, but I'll cover it separately. So the normal, in terms of the normal October monitoring round, we submitted bids of 69.7 million. That was to cover areas such as uh, education authority pressures. So that would have been sound related pressures, other inescapables and contingency money. Teaching pay again, the two amounts that we had bid for previously, 15 and 17, total of 32 million. Those are the elements that were unfunded. Um, contractual elements, that's all contractual in year that was bid for. School maintenance of 4 million. Voluntary access scheme 2.5 million, I mentioned before. Childcare strategy, the bid was reduced to 0.5 million, largely because a lot of the work that had been planned uh, in terms of the early stages of a childcare strategy, obviously subject to executive approval, um, hadn't been able to happen because of the uh, COVID 19 interruption. Rates pressure of 2.2 million, that's the balance of what we didn't get in June monitoring. 
Uh, increased legal costs, that was really linked. There was a lot of activity back and forth from the department seeking legal advice on various aspects, including the indemnities that you referred to earlier, Chair. And the Education Transformation Programme, 2.4 million was bid for. And then there were some in inescapable pressures linked to depreciation impairments of 0.1 million. So for that, that was the normal October monitoring round. Out of that, we were successful in receiving 12.9 million. That was 11.8 million towards the Education Authority pressures and uh, 1 million towards school maintenance and 0.1 for the inescapable small pressures. So 12.8 or 12.9 million in total. And then moving on to the COVID response pressures that were asked for round about the same time as October monitoring. They weren't actually asked for as part of the commissioning exercise, but they were later asked for. So we had already highlighted some of these pressures in our October monitoring response to the Department of Finance. So we bid for a total of 46.7 million and we received 28.4. So these were related to some of the same areas as before. Support for the childcare sector for the period September to December. The bid was 14.3 million. Further school meals response, um, 9.7 million. Uh, response measure for preparatory schools, 0.8 million. Uh, boarding schools lost income, 1.3 million. Uh, voluntary grammar, grammar attained integrated lost income, 0.6 million. Help for the pathway organisations, 0.5 million. School uniform grants increased uptake 3.7 million. Uh, restart programme initial staff costs 0.5, they were just 0.5 million at that point. And then EA block grant pressures for the first quarter 8.8 .8 million. And then for the school maintenance, you know, the link to COVID 19, additional cleaning, etc., 2.4 million. And then the holiday hungry, hunger. Uh, payment of free school moves over the um, holiday periods, the extended half-term break of 4.1 million. So as I say, we got a total of 28.4 million there, 8.5 towards the child, helping the childcare sector, 8.3 free school meals, uh, help for voluntary grammar, 0.2, pathway organisations, 0.5, school uniform, 3.7, uh, education staff, restart staff costs, we got the 0.5 and EI block grant pressures, we got 5.9 million towards and school maintenance, we got 0.8 towards that. So, so I would emphasize whilst as I'm talking through this, we didn't get everything that we bid for. We actually have done reasonably well uh, and the Department of Finance colleagues have worked very, very well and very closely with us and, and helping us to secure quite reasonable amounts along the way and what has been a very unusual year. And then just to finish off with, in terms of restart, hopefully I'm still within my 10 minutes. Um, the restart, obviously the focus there, the distinction between restart and the COVID-19 responses, restart is specifically towards getting schools up and running again in the autumn. So the original bids totaled uh, about, and this would, this would have been for term one, September to December, as well as term two, January to March, we were bidding for about 107 million in total. That was to cover areas, uh, PPE, uh, pressures facing schools, 
uh, additional transport costs because of additional routes uh, TransLink had to put on, face coverings on buses, loss of income. So I'll just run through what we got um, at October monitoring. Sorry, not it's, it's not all of it, or was it all at October month? It wasn't all at October month, you got it at different times. And that's why I thought it would be more helpful for you to, to give you a summary of what we actually got in terms of restarts. So we got 25.6, which covered PPE costs. 23.5, that was primarily for schools, uh, covering uh, things like uh, substitution costs, increase for the school delegated budget, SEN needs, and some lost income in among that, and some in-year growth costs as a result of uh, increased enrolments in, in years 13 and 14. Additional transport costs, 4.6 million we got. Non-statutory preschool settings, 3.8 million. Uh, school meals, uh, 0.6 million. Childcare, uh, cleaning and maintenance, 1 million. And SEN, mainstream and, and pupil support additional help there of 1.6 million. And then some additional help linked to the remote learning for CGK standards and learning, 2.9 million. And then there were some other smaller pressures, 0.5 million that were met. And a well-being fund of 5 million, which has since been allocated out to schools. So that was a total, uh, total of roughly 70 million, just over 70 million. And the Minister's at the moment is holding back about eight for that to decide how that will be allocated to schools. So then at October monitoring that, uh, we, we bid for 26.8 million in total under the same headings. And the funding that we received was about 21 million. So actually there's not that much of a residual pressure left. It's just under six million is the residual pressure for restart costs. So we have done quite well overall out of that. And probably at that point I'll pause. If anybody has any questions, I'm, I'm hoping, I know there were a lot of figures that are ran through there, but hopefully it makes it a bit clearer just how things have worked this year and, and yep. the, the amounts that we've received. Okay, thanks Guy. Uh, does Philip want to make a few short comments and then we'll go to questions and answers? Uh, he may, but probably not on the in-year. Sorry, I'm speaking for you, Philip, but we, uh, there, were no, there was no capital bid for in-year. No, there's no capital bid for in-year. Um, I suppose that there, there has been some reallocation uh, in that uh, construction, given that everyone was off-site for early part of the year, is down something like six million on, on what uh, had been initially allocated to, to construction projects. But that has been effectively um, transferred to two main areas. One was devices for pupils, which was all part of the, um, the, the, the different ways of working. Uh, and the other is an increase in the initial allocation that went to transport for a procurement of, of, of new buses. Um, they had originally been allocated a lot less than they originally asked for, um, and we were able to go some way to, to um, uh, getting them, them closer to where they had wanted to be in the first place. Okay. And Philip, do you want to comment on uh, the 2021-25 capital budgeting gathering info before we move to questions? Well, I think we were going. Well, Gary has, I think, a whole piece on that as well in terms of the um, uh, the, the the future years. Gary, am I right in saying that? Sorry, this is a bit difficult when we're all apart. But 
Well, I mean, I'm happy. We're happy to go into the future years if you want to, or if you want to pause, and we'll take any questions in the near, whatever way you want uh, to handle it. We're we're we have to leave the uh, room at twelve noon. So if you want to go into the next piece as well, and then we'll take questions. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Okay. So in terms of future years, we shared. Um, let me just pull up the information that we shared with you. Now, the first caveat, I suppose, I would say is that. As always at this early stage, these are fairly high-level estimates of what the, the pressures are estimated to be in future years. Um, and we will, in, in our normal role, we'll be continuing to engage with the Education Authority and other arms-length bodies really to try and refine some of these pressures. But we were asked as part of the commissioning exercise to, to, to submit information for three years. Now, the um, message we're getting from DOF at this stage is that it's likely to just be a one-year comprehensive spending review, which will hopefully, I think we, it should be, a draft budget should hopefully be announced before Christmas, is what we're, we're hearing at this stage. So, uh, so even though there's three years, I think there was possibly a hope that it might have been for three years, but it's only going to be a one-year, and I presume that's to some extent because of the impact of COVID right across uh, the UK in terms of costs. And it's been difficult to plan. So we we submitted pressures, inescapable and contractual, as noted there and under the three headings. There were general pressures. Um, there were the COVID nineteen specific pressures, which really only we're, we're estimating and hopeful, I suppose, at this stage that they will only have an impact in the first year, next year, um, and that may only be part for part of the year. None of us know, I suppose, how long this is going to go on and what the impact will be. And then the, the new decade, new approach. Now, you will see within the new decade, new approach that we have identified our pay pressures within that. That's because that is linked to the commitment within the new decade, new approach, that uh, in terms of teachers' pay and other pay pressures. No savings have been identified at this stage. There, there weren't enough, there wasn't enough known really in terms of savings at this stage to include anything meaningful. And because the pressures are, are so great, we, we wanted to make sure at least that they were highlighted. Um, so under each of the headings, we'll just go through them. The general pressures. All right, if you, if you can try and move fairly promptly, apologies for having to ask in those unique yeah, no circumstances well, with, the, with the, the room this morning. Thank you. Okay. Well. I don't know how much detail to go in here. I mean, the, the general pressure, I think we shared with you a tab, tab one, that, that includes all of the general pressures. So I'll not go through those individually. If you're short of time, it might be better if I just take questions. What I would point out is you will see that we also shared with you other general education pressures that we didn't bid for because we weren't allowed to bid for them at this stage. These are things that are not deemed to be inescapable or contractual. And what are those, Gary? Um, they are listed, I think it's in table three, if I'm looking at the same. May, you may have different information in front of you in a different format, but it's called other general education pressures. They come, in the first year, they come to a total of 58.6 million. No, it's not I think you should have that table in front of you in some form. And that starts with period poverty. Page 200 of so, our packs, yes. Thanks, Gary. Yeah. So there's a list there. Just to point out to you, whilst obviously a lot of these things are, uh, th these things are important and members will have their views on these, 
we didn't submit them. We highlighted them to the Department of Finance, but we weren't uh, permitted to submit them because they weren't deemed to be inescapable or contractual. So it's not to say that they're not important. And at the end of the day, it will all depend on what kind of budget the minister will be given for next year uh, to determine what, what is affordable and what isn't. But in terms of what was actually submitted, it was purely the inescapable and contractual. Um, I'm maybe just to, um, conscious of keeping it brief then, so I'll maybe pass over to Philip. If there's anything you want to highlight generally on the capital, and then we can take questions. Um, pro probably just the same, uh, maybe around the process. The, the numbers are there in the table in, in the paper that we, we forwarded. Um, basically, we were asked uh, to, to supply to DOF a list of individual projects that we could identify and then at, at, a, at a kind of program level where we weren't able to do that. As Guy has said, our understanding is that there'll only be a one-year budget here for capital, but we were asked to supply the four years so that uh, DOF can, can have indicative figures going forward. <clears throat> um, so the, the, the way that that was done uh, was where we could identify individually announced um, major capital and set projects. We, we did that, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, whereas the, the minor works and the youth projects, we simply allocate or, or put in a, a budget which was effectively what we have been spending uh, in, in recent years. Uh, then the, the other capital line was built up in a similar way to the major project where we were able to identify major projects, major projects such as IT projects and transport procurements. Uh, we identified those individually and, and hence the, the buildup of, of figures that, that you'll see in, in the table. Um, so that was the process. As you said, um, Chair, it, it, it's uh, an, an indicative request that the DOF have asked for. Um, ultimately, the, the bigger issue for us will be when the allocation comes back and then deciding which programs we allocate the budget to and which ones have to be constrained if we don't get everything that, that's been listed. Um, when, when will you receive that allocation, Philip? Um, I, I don't have a timetable, Gary. Do you know when we're likely to, to get the budget? We don't have a firm timetable. We are hopeful from conversation with the OF rather than any written advice that it might be before Christmas. But again, everything's a bit up in the air at the moment, as you'll understand. But that's the budget for next financial year, then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which would be which would be in line with kind of normal timelines. That that is a sensible sort of timeline for getting a, a draft budget out, and it allows time for consultation and also planning for the the coming year. Obviously, it has, it's been tighter in the last few years, so it would be good if that's the case, but it's not confirmed. We're, we're still hopeful that that'll be the case. Okay, and how does your overall bid compare to your actual allocation for this financial year? Um, well, at the well I, I can answer in terms of capital. Sorry, Gary. Or do you want to go ahead? Have you, have you got your no, figures in? Uh, go on ahead. Yeah, well, in terms of capital, we have uh, round numbers 150 million this year, and I think the, the request for next year was something like 199. If you look at the table, uh, yeah, 199. Well, close to 200 actually. So it's it's quite a significant increase that we have we have uh, requested. Yeah, at the start, of, I think 
announcer to your question, Chair, at the start of this year, we were short, we had, we had identified at the very outset, we were short about 427 million in total, if you recall. Now about 73 million, that was linked to the NDNA commitments. That was later, it, it was refined as time went on, it was later reduced to about 391, and then we got uh, about 226 million to meet those pressures. So there's a residual pressure which at June monitoring had reduced after after the June monitoring allocations had reduced to 135 million. So we're always reliant, I suppose, on in your allocations throughout the year. This year was particularly uh, unusual, I suppose, because of all the COVID and restart bidding and, and pressures being met in among all that. So it's not unusual, I suppose, for us to be highlighting very high pressures at this point in time. So th this um, year, this year, you're your identified pressures and the allocation that you got to meet them was some £170 million short? Well, now, what I quoted there was up to June monitoring. I haven't done the calculation in terms of other amounts. And then it is confused, I suppose, by the COVID bids. I suppose we have to assume that the COVID and restart bids well, are separate not. altogether because they're not linked back to the original, the original pressure. Okay. Okay, thanks. Realise we're short for time, keen to bring other members in. But um, further, further to our most recent evidence session, um, we were discussing special schools area planning um, and a, a document from 2012 that had proposed the need for a new special school in, in Belfast and a, a pupil population increase of 20% since. So what is the capital budget for special schools? Well, uh, I suppose first thing is we don't have a capital budget going forward as such yet. But what is in those um, uh, the, the, the lines that I, I talked through there are the um, the the on the new build lines there would be the residual works still going on at uh, Ross Mar and Ardnashee, which are both on the major capital program. There are, I think, it is twelve of the SEPs. Just give me one second, I'll just confirm the number here. Uh, yeah, 12, uh, 12 special schools have been announced in the school enhancement program line um, that, that uh, is, is shown in that table uh, in, the, in the paper. Um, now, specifically, I, uh, I think Belfast is a slightly different um, situation because of the kind of ongoing work to, to, to identify the preferred configuration of schools in Belfast, that uh, the vast majority of those investments are in schools outside of Belfast. Uh, and I have been in discussion with the, the EA around, you know, how we identify and move forward a programme uh, in the medium term for Belfast specifically once there is a better understanding of the preferred configuration of schools in in the greater Belfast area. What, what was the last capital expenditure on a special school in Belfast? Um, I'd, have to, I'd have to go away. I can't I'd be taking it off the top of my head. Chair, I, I need to come back to you. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, but I mean the, the last the 
I suppose the uncertainty around the planning has had an, had an impact because the last um, major capital announcement, the most recent one there a few months ago, um, did not include special schools. Uh, and um, I think the one before that was primary schools only. So there hasn't been a major capital announcement involving special schools for a number of years. Okay. Um, will there be a call for a new build project shortly? And will it include special schools? Well, we, we have been discussing exactly the timing of that, uh, potentially, and the, the, um, the, I suppose, the timing of the decisions around the configuration, the preferred configuration in Belfast. Um, you know, obviously, the, the, the configuration piece has to come before you would announce a, 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 a you know a major capital build, which you, where you potentially be building something that, following the review or following the the uh, identification of a preferred configuration, was not where you wanted the school to be, or was not of a form, you know, was not specified correctly. So the, the capital piece has to come after the. The configuration piece. Okay. Uh, regrettably, I think if you're a, a parent of a child with a, a special school pupil um, in um, in Belfast, you, you're not going to be particularly encouraged by listening to this education committee today. But um, can I also ask, then, in terms of um, the Struel campus, um, DE's annual report and accounts for 2019 to 20 indicate that Struel will not be complete until September 2025 and that a ministerial direction will likely be required in order to overcome value for money concerns relating to the project. Can you advise the current status of the Struel project um, if the business case has been reapproved, um, if a contractor has been appointed? and if a ministerial direction has been required or given in order to allow the project to continue, what were the value for money concerns associated with the project? Okay, I mean, I can't go into that. There's a lot of the detail on the value for money piece, but uh, I can explain uh, some of the issues around approvals, um, which relate to fresh start funding in general. Um, so, you know, there has a, a sort of complex approvals process involving DE, DOF, and Treasury. As things stand at the moment on Struel, the procurement is um, is on holds uh, and has been for some time. Uh, you're you're right that the the the, um, the relevant uh, approvals are in train through DE and the executive. My understanding is a letter has gone from DOF to Treasury uh, requesting their approval. To, to allow the project to proceed. Uh, when that uh, comes back, the, the Struel team would then be in a position to um, move forward with the, with the procurement. Yeah. In answer to your question about the ministerial direction, yes, the minister did give a direction. He shared a, an executive paper with executive colleagues and uh, secured executive endorsement moving forward but as philip says uh, the hold up at the moment is that because of because of the nature of the project um it, it was difficult to make comparisons with other capital projects from a value for money point of view and there were issues around that which have meant that the department of finance because it's the uh, using fresh start money 
Department of Finance have been required to go to Treasury and actually ensure that they are aware that there may be issues around that and to indicate that they are still content that the fresh start money can be used for that. So we're just we're still awaiting that response. Okay, and, and what if but, but, Treasury say fresh start money can't be used for that? Um, well, we'll be back to the drawing board at that point. I suppose we're hopeful that it'll be a positive response. It certainly hasn't that executive endorsement to move forward on, so we're happy to keep the committee informed. Okay, and you can't reference any of the value for money concerns that were associated with the project? Well, they were, they were down to issues such as space. Uh, it, it, would, it was quite a complex project, obviously, and because there are quite specific shared areas and commitments to sharing in the future, it's, it's largely linked to the fact that it's difficult to make a comparison with other, even with other shared campuses because of the scale involved. So there, there were just some complex issues around that. And I think it was important, the Department of Finance felt it was important to be transparent with Treasury, obviously, on issues like that, okay. because uh, the intention is to use the fresh start capital. Okay. It's a pretty vague explanation of value for money concerns that have required a ministerial direction. Maybe we would request some more detail in that regard. You said the executive endorsed the ministerial direction. Was there any um, caveat of any of that endorsement or any request for additional information relating to the project as part of that endorsement? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, I need to bring other members in then. Uh, can I bring in Karen Mullen, MLA, Deputy Chair? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Gary, Neil and Philip. And I'm just going to go back to uh, the Chair's uh, question and around the Special Schools Framework. Um, we know uh, that the Special Schools Framework consultation is going to close on the 11th of December. Gary, you've updated it us this morning that you hope to hear about the budget for April 21, um, hopefully around Christmas. We've already covered the capital element, but I would ask, has there been a resource budget worked up um, to take forward the findings from the Special Schools Framework from April 2021? Um, it's no. It, I know it's not deemed to be. In, I know sorry. we can't predetermine the findings, but if the budget's already yeah. submitted and we're hoping to hear by Christmas, um, it would be very worrying if there's no budget assigned um, for next year. At the, well, obviously, at this stage, if it's not deemed with it to be within the inescapable and contractual at this point in time. It's we're not sure. We'll have to see, you know, what what kind of budget we get, and then the minister will have to determine what he can take forward. So I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to, whether that's a statutory commitment or uh, completely inescapable. So if it's not, then it's it will be up to the minister to decide within the budget that he gets whether it's affordable. Right. Um, on the childcare support scheme. Uh, Gary, I just wanted to check. There's, it says there's three, there was three million pound underspent. Was that in the second childcare support scheme? We know the amount for the first one. Would that be correct? There was not. There was a total of nine million under. There was three million spent out of the twelve million right. that we got at the very outset. That was before June monitoring. Uh, so, so that the nine million had to be given up at October monitoring there. 
because uh, it was ring-fenced. Obviously, when we get these allocations for COVID or restart, they're specifically ring-fenced. If we can't use them, they have to be given back, obviously, yeah. so as they can be reallocated by the executive elsewhere. So, and that just seemed to be linked to poor uptake at that early stage. Yeah, I suppose it's the second round that I'm, I'm actually asking. I might have my figures wrong um, here. Was, was the fall amount spent? Let me just check my figures. Um, <coughs> ten and a half. You go ahead. So we received the twelve million, which was the first tranche that we received for childcare. Yeah. Um, and as Guy said, we underspent by nine million on that and returned that. Yeah. Uh, we also then got ten and a half in COVID response for childcare. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that's close to being fully spent, so I'm not aware of an additional three million of an underspend no. with regards to childcare. So I'm not sure if we understand. No, Neil. Maybe I've just question. picked up. No, I've maybe just picked up the figures. No, that's grand. Um, uh, see, in table two, um, around the October monitoring, uh, it's for free school meals. We have in there October and December. Has it been agreed um, that Christmas payments will be made, um, direct payments will be made in relation to free school meals? Is that money there? Over the, over the holiday period, yeah. do you mean? Yeah. yeah. No, not at this stage. We, we did get an extra, where we're due to get an extra 1.4 million to cover the holiday that has just happened. So we'll probably have to submit that further bid near the time, depending yeah. on the circumstances. In relation to future programme, uh, there's 17.6 million in, uh, in relation to food poverty uh, programme. Would that be holiday hunger as well, Gary? The yes, it is. Yes, that's yeah. holiday yes, hunger for the yeah. summer period and the Christmas and Easter holidays for next year. And I know, I know that uh, this money has, hasn't um, been secured or whatever, but it's really good to see that the department has also put in uh, figure around tackling period poverty um, and yeah. uh, and also food poverty. So I very much welcome that and hopefully we yeah. can get the money to take those projects forward. I have been lobbying yeah. the department for a long time on both of them. Um, yeah, I would, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I would emphasise that those are in the list that are not deemed to be inescapable or contractual, but yeah. we have nonetheless highlighted them to the yeah. Department of Finance, so they are aware that they are seen as important yeah. to take forward. Yeah, understand that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I suppose I just want to finish off uh, around in relation to the special education needs funding. Um, there's quite a, a bit of um, extra funding that has went done over the last year for the pressures that's there. Um, millions are being spent, but it's really just to see. And we're not. I'm not going to get the answer today. And Gary, you wouldn't have the answer. But it's mm. it's looking at that, feeding it in around the overview um, and how it's being used. Because we have heard, particularly over this COVID period, of how parents and children were abandoned, and there was little or no support um, uh, or education provision for those children. And we had an hour briefing. Um, this morning again, um, and it's just really important that when the executive and the finance minister is continuing to, to provide funding to, to support and ensure our children's needs has been met, that the department has a, a, a very tight overview on how that has been spent, because the reality on the ground, um, getting 
uh, two children as if that hasn't happened and as I say I don't expect he's to have the answer but I do want that taken back because there's quite a lot of money that's going towards it and then just the last one would be for for uh, Philip Philip I know you've explained out the reason and the rationale for no increase for youth capital funding over the next number of years but um, I would just like to ensure that the department has, uh, is aware of the full capital needs of the youth sector. Um, I just don't think they flatline at £10,000 or £10 million over um, those years. And, in, and I know the reasons why you're doing it, but I would just like to be assured that these are uh, fully across the needs of the youth sector in terms of capital. Thank you. That's me. Thanks, Chair. Guy, do you want to respond to that, or have you noted those questions? Okay. Uh, I think, as you say, Karen would probably have to come back to you okay. uh, on the sense of uh, the only assurance I can give is that I know the, that from the minister down there is definitely a focus on all that side of things. But we can get you a more specific response to your to your questions. Uh, Philip, I don't know whether you want to respond on the capital point. Yeah, just I think the last time I was uh, was up, we talked a little bit about youth capital and explained the, the issues. And I just would highlight, you know, what, what has been put put forward there is, I suppose, as a simple historical spend. The real key question comes at, at the point where we get a budget then as to what the allocation is and 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 what we can deliver. But I think to take the point, we do. They're okay. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Robin Newton, MLA. Uh, thank you, Chair, and thank the members for being with us uh, today. I've only two short questions. Uh, one is on your Table 1 October Monitoring Education Restart Pressures, which you've submitted, uh, and that is in the area of the C2K standards and learning. That's 0.5 million. I, mean, I, I was under the impression, under the impression that uh, C2K was had not the resources that it needed, and indeed that C2K has such a, an important role to play as we go forward in this uh, pandemic health crisis. Uh, that was number one. Uh, and number two was in the area of the other general education pressures. That's your table three. Two, two aspects to that, and, and two aspects that Really, the, the committee has uh, expressed concerns around uh, in the past, and if if my if my reading of the mind of the committee uh, is that um, the two items are regional development program for two-year-old children at greatest risk of poor outcomes, and the second one support for preschool education program for children at risk of poor outcomes including children from disadvantaged areas. Now, I, th I thought there was a general recognition that we did need to invest in this area. Uh, and indeed, um, during the budget debate, I raised it specifically with the minister, uh, those two specific areas. And indeed, if we don't invest in those areas, then the cost at a later stage to society will be far, far more than uh, you haven't uh, been allocated uh, in this budget. I suppose my question on the second one is, uh, through you, Chair, whether or not the uh, mind of the committee might be to support those uh, two bids. 
Okay. Officials, you want to come in first there? We'll pick up on your second question first. Um, acknowledge the points that you're making, and as I said earlier, it's uh, the fact that these are listed in a table that, that weren't actually highlighted as inescapable or contractual doesn't mean that they're not considered to be important. We were just abiding by the, the, the request from the Department of Finance, but we have nonetheless highlighted that these are still important areas that the Department would wish to bid for. Um, and in response to your first question about C2K, uh, I, I couldn't actually hear properly what your question was about that. It's, uh, it was at the extent of, of what we'd bid for. Yes, I, I thought. Uh, small. Yeah, I thought Gary C2K were under a lot of pressure, um, and uh, indeed that the role of C2K, C2K is so important uh, as we move forward where children maybe have to engage in remote learning on either extended periods or short periods, that their role would have uh, maybe merited more than half a million. Can, can, I, can I, sorry Gary, can I cut across you? Just, just to highlight, there are two lines in the capital budget for this year from C2K, one related to what seems to be extension of the network uh, and, and pilot sites, one related to additional devices. Uh, which come to a total of nine million pounds uh, allocation in this year, which which you know has been been fully met. You know that, that requirement has been fully met. Okay. Yeah. So the element that that's referred to in tab table three is uh, purely the the uh, resource impact, and that that would have been an estimate that would have, we would have received from the education authority. So it would be dependent on them highlighting what the resource need. Would, is there, but as Philip says, there was quite a substantial amount allocated for additional devices to ensure that children uh, have access. Okay. Okay, so there's only another 0.5 million or restart pressures, is that what we're saying? Related to C2K? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. that's what's been identified. That was what was identified by the Education Authority. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Rob. Uh, can I bring in Robbie Butler. Robbie, is he there? He's on mute. No, I think we've lost him. I'll get a hold of this technology someday, guys. <laughs> okay, thank you, Chair. Thank you for that. I will keep this brief, guys. Um, thank you for that. Um, I just want to uh, go over a little bit in and around the mental health stuff. Um, so there's a couple of uh, statements made, which are fine and sort of are in keeping with probably Gary's last um, uh, time with the committee. So initially, when we came back, there was £10 million budgeted for, I believe, um, per annum. And I think that was brought down to £5 million. Um, now, there's a couple of conflicting figures, but I'm sure it's just my eyes and my ears that are conflicted and not, not what you presented. So uh, there was a statement made that um, a wellbeing fund of £5 million has been allocated. Um, so I'd like some information in and around what that allocation, how that's constituted, what that looks like for schools, if that's the case. And then in the papers, um, I think it's on page, well, of our papers, sorry, it's page 217. It's still shown uh, the development of a mental health and framework, uh, emotional wellbeing framework is shown as 
bid for 10 million and received 10 million or allocated 10 million. So it seems to be in conflict to the, the 5 million that is stated, but that's probably me, guys. And then one other thing, and this will be my final one, it's the nurture program, 2.4 million, uh, and then cut down to 1.5. I know there was an announcement by the minister recently um, to the rollout of the nurture program. Uh, why was that uh, cut back uh, at a time like this? Thank you, guys. Thanks, Robert. Yeah. Uh, in terms of mental health, the, uh, as part of the restart funding, we got five million. That was that was specifically related to all that's been going on this year in terms of COVID, uh, and that has been allocated to schools on an equitable basis, just so as there is an additional amount there for schools to determine how best to use in the context of health and well-being of pupils. There was also five million of the original ten million that was the estimated requirement for this year. Five million has been allocated out of the minister's budget for that to develop the framework, and then in subsequent years, we're estimating that the recurrent impact would be about ten million. That's an answer to that question. Uh, in terms of the nurture, um, from memory, I think that has just been the impact of COVID. Uh, on the, the work capacity of those who would have been taking forward some of that work this year. So it's still obviously a priority, but it was impacted by COVID. Okay, um, so, so yeah, that's, that's okay. I just want to clear something up then and around the five million pound that's been allocated to schools and from the COVID funding with regard to the, the sort of wellbeing piece then, if that's okay. So um, was that, you said it was done equitably, so was that um, uh, across the school estate, uh, post and uh, post primary and primary, were they given the same amount? Was it based on per, uh, per head of pupils? Um, because already uh, primary schools are probably at a slight disadvantage in that they don't, they don't have counselling and stuff um, in terms of that mental health base. Um, and secondly, it's just I'll finish this, and this is definitely my last question. You mentioned about new buses. Um, had that was that was that planned new buses, or was that anything to do with uh, COVID and uh, a sort of an, an action to deal with additional transport through this period to keep people safe? And that is definitely an engaging. We get this the answers right. Okay, an answer to the first question. Um, my understanding is that the the five million restart for. Health and well-being was allocated on a per-pupil basis, so it, it should be pro-rata, and every school should have benefited in an appropriate way. And then it's up; it's part of the delegated. It'll have to be monitored separately because it's separate restart funding, but it's it's really part of that delegated arrangement for individual schools. So it's up to the schools to determine how best they can use that. Um, in terms, I, I think what you're referring to in terms of the buses, what I'd refer to in terms of the resource impact of COVID was TransLink perhaps having to put on alternative routes because they may be, you know, with the impact of COVID to ensure that, that youngsters can still get to school and also the additional costs of face coverings on public transport and things like that. And the new buses that I referred to earlier on, no, they're not related to COVID. That business case had been in preparation for quite some time, it was approved back a couple of months ago. So that's a procurement that had been planned. Thank you, Philip. Yes, that's, that's the one I was referring to. And just um, on that other one, then. Um, you move on, Robbie. Be brief, please. Thanks. Cheers. Yeah, money across, money across the schools, then. Um, was that including the, uh, the special schools as well? Just to clarify that, if that's okay, in terms of the, the mental health and wellbeing money that was meted out. That's it. Okay, I would need to check that. I don't want to say yes or no. I'm not 100% sure. I'll get back to you on that. Okay, thanks, Robbie. Daniel McCrossin. Yes, Jeff. 
Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah. 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 Um, thanks, Gary and Philip, for um, your contributions so far. Yeah, it was all of the department's capital budget for 1920 spent for the first of April 2020, or did some money have to be returned? And if so, why? And also, in looking at the 2020-2021 and all the issues COVID has caused and continues to cause, how much of the 2020-2021 capital budget will be spent and will money have to be returned? And finally, in terms of capital, can the Department for Education raise if uh, the Treasury has permitted the executive to reprofile all of the four hundred and seventy million pounds of unspent capital, not just that allocated for the school in my own constituency over the next few years. Has executive been required to provide match funding in order to secure the release of the Chrysler capital? Uh, I think those are all for me, yeah. Um uh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't write them down as you, as you went. Um, uh, first of all, you were talking about budgets. Um, so in terms of last year's capital budget, um, the underspend was less than 1%. Uh, I, I don't have the numbers here in front of me, but effectively we spent all our budget uh, in terms of capital. In terms of this year, while the construction side has been down because they were off site for a number of months, as I said earlier, We've, we've been able to reallocate that. Um, some of it driven by the, the, um, the shutdown requirements where a lot of extra devices have been uh, supplied to pupils and so on, and some of it just a, a general reallocation to deal with other pressures. As we stand at the moment, I think we're, um, we're slightly over-provisioned actually in terms of spend. So uh, there's certainly as we plan at the moment, there is no no plan to give any additional funding back. Um, and in fact, uh, the, the other thing that comes into play a little bit here is receipts. If we're able to get uh, properties that are no longer used, uh, sold uh, and, and money in, then with DOF's approval, depending on the size of the receipt, we're able to, to maybe reclaim that back. And, and therefore, actually, there could be a, an increased spend in capital in this year compared to what, what had been planned. Um, the third question, sorry, you couldn't, couldn't repeat the third question. Uh, Go ahead, Daniel. All right, yeah, just a relation to Struel, maybe, if I take it with that. Reprofiling the 470 million of unspent capital. Fresh yes, so uh, it's now been agreed that we can reprofile the Fresh Start funding. Um, but it'll be uh, uh, on the basis of a kind of uh, one-time agreement of, of this is the revised profile, and then we'll be we'll be held to that profile. The additional um, the additional executive capital for, if you like, related to, to fresh start projects line that is in the table in the paper is is driven by something slightly different, and this might take a little bit of time to explain. The original number of projects that were announced um, included an element of the Struhl project and uh, uh, all the other projects that were that, that have been announced, and that came to just over at that time the 500 million that was, if you like, full fresh start allocation. Um, the, as part of the flexibility, um, basically all of the Struhl project can now be um, funded from from fresh start. 
Um, the other change is obviously there have there uh, as we go, inflation is coming into play. So other projects that were announced are are increasing in value. And the other thing that the Fresh Start funding was uh, ring fenced for shared integrated education and for shared housing. Now we had gone ahead and uh, announced or identified projects that would take all of the funding. DOF have made it clear to us that an element of this will ultimately go to shared housing and they'll make that decision over the next next period. So when we factor in uh, the, the, the additional spend associated with Screw that is now allowed to score against Fresh Start and the, the increases there have been in the projects that were announced and if you like the reduction on the 500 uh, that will go to, to shared housing and make some assumptions on that. We are effectively over-provisioned in terms of these projects over and above the, the money that will come to, to, to DE. Therefore, we need to allocate some executive funding to top it up. And that's what we've shown in, in the request to DOF, the, the, the paper that, that, that was sent to you. That additional uh, executive capital for Fresh Start is effectively the top up to deal with what is now uh, effect, you know, an over provision of, of projects for Fresh Start for Fresh Start funding. Hope that made sense. <laughs> a lot on that, but yeah, that, that, that's well. Uh, Chair, just briefly, I have a question. I know we're running out of time. I have a question in relation to the expenditure on SIA and CCMS. Uh, I'm just wondering why it's set to treble uh, over three years, uh, up from just over £1 million in 2021 22 to well over £3 million by. 2023 24 uh, and why uh, there's, uh, there's no plans to increase the value of the age weighted pupil unit. Uh, it was uh, cut back, as people know, in 2017 uh, at, at great loss to schools and it has never been restored. Uh, um, so, is, is there anything to be said about that? As regards the age weighted pupil unit, there there is forecast. Uh, as you know, this year there was nine million put towards that to ensure that there wouldn't be a significant impact across the two phases. That a sim similar amounts have been not not those exact amounts, but there there are amounts factored in for the coming two years, not the third year, and all of that is linked to uh, school population forecasts. So that is factored in for future years. Um, can we answer the other question? See it. The see it forecast was those would largely be penalised. Pressures from memory. And, and uh, there's also issues around the renewal of leases. It, it's mainly paying price pressures that they're that they are telling us they will be facing over the, the next three years. And just finally, uh, I have some concern in relation to. Um, Spending per head uh, or per pupil in Northern Ireland compared with England and Wales and Scotland. So uh, in England and Wales, it's six thousand one hundred pounds per pupil per year. In Scotland, it's seven thousand three hundred. But in Northern Ireland, it is five thousand eight hundred. Has the department any plans to seek equality of resourcing for our children? Because there is a significant disproportionate uh, approach to children in Northern Ireland compared to that of other children throughout uh, England, Scotland, and Wales. I think it's it's difficult to make comparisons on a like for like basis because in other jurisdictions there's less there's more seems to go directly to schools whereas the education authority manages 
large elements of the money that makes its way to schools, so it can be difficult to make that direct comparison. But obviously, well, we are. Sorry, Gary, that, that comparison was made by the Institute of Fiscal Studies in a report of, uh, of this year in relation to educational spending. And they have outlined that there is an underspend, arguably, uh, on children per head, per that the other jurisdictions, devolved institutions across the UK. Although they will still be making, I, I mean, uh, there is a point to be made. I'm not, I'm I will acknowledge there's a point to be made, but I think the extent of the difference is possibly maybe exaggerated by those figures still because it's not a direct like for like comparison. Okay. That, that said, we are still, we are still. I think that is a, a, an important discussion for us to return to on, a, on another day. Given time it's here, can I bring Justin McNulty in, please? Thanks, Daniel. Justin? Thanks, sure. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Philip. Gary, you mentioned uh, mental health and emotional well-being, a figure of five million. Just give me some more information on that figure, please. Well, there are there are two amounts, as I was saying earlier this year. There's the five million that the minister factored into his original budget decisions to take forward the framework, uh, and it, it, the original estimate for that would have been ten million. Um, but obviously, with all that's going on, I think ever, most of the department's business has been impacted by COVID, so the pressure reduced to five million that was allocated. Um, that's to get, certainly to get things kicked off in conjunction with the Department of Health. And then the future year pressure will continue to be 10 million, full year effect. Uh, there was also 5 million that, that we got specifically for schools restarting, and that has been allocated out to schools on a per pupil basis to enable them to, to provide additional support from a mental health and wellbeing perspective. So that's happening on the ground as we speak. The money's been yeah. well spent, as much money as it's been well spent, you can, you can uh, verify that, Gary. Yeah, well, all, all of the all of the COVID-related or restart-related uh, allocations, uh, we're requiring those to be monitored in a in a proportionate way because obviously it it helps us when we're making it. You know, if we're having to to submit additional bids as the year proceeds, if we have evidence that the money is being put to good use. Okay, well, obviously, that's, in the context, that's crucially important money and crucially important to that kids are getting support they need given the crisis that they're being put through and the uncertainty and fear that they're facing on an almost daily basis. Um, another figure um, that hasn't been mentioned in the same sort of context, I think uh, Robin touched on it earlier. It looked after kid children has been discussed in terms of budget, budgets, um, but where are figures for at-risk children, especially in the context of COVID? That's probably an answer that you'd be better getting from the Education Authority. Are you talking about additional funding, supporting yeah. them? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, uh, we would have. I think our assumption would be that as, as money, a lot of this money that's allocated out for those who are disadvantaged or at risk that's going out under various headings um, to the education authority or directly to schools, well, you know, you know, they're not forgotten about. They're in among some of the headings probably aren't that clear, but certainly at-risk children money has been bid for, and it will be up to the education authority in conjunction with schools to make sure that money is being used effectively. 
Okay, well, I would just have serious, I would have grave concerns that there hasn't been funding designated for that specific area of challenge during this pandemic because there are kids who are so much more at risk as a consequence of this pandemic. And I wonder, is that, is that funding being provided and has it been spent? And is, is there, are there measures being taken to ensure like young children are safe in their own homes? And I'd be really, really worried that that wouldn't be the case. Um, Engage with the Education Authority. We can come back to you with a bit more on that. Okay. Listen, I think you know there are um, there's lots of information there about current bids, but what about future bids in terms of the mental health catch-up program for both primary schools and uh, secondary schools, uh, physical education catch-up program which has been disrupted, um, and obviously major investment in special education needs or speech, physio, or occupational therapy. Um, you've bid in the, in the mental health, bid for mental health money in June monitoring. How much did you bid for? How much did you get? And what is the impact on pupils of that money? I know I've sort of re, re uh, myself a little bit. In terms of mental health, we got the, the additional five million, specifically uh, restart related for met, uh, well-being, mental health, and that has been allocated to schools. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, the other, uh, as I said at the, when I was introducing the future years position, what we were required to do was to identify what was inescapable con or contractual, but we also highlighted other pressures. So the areas that you refer to would be included probably within some of those other categories. Okay, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Justin. Uh, officials, thanks very much indeed for your briefings. Uh, we have five minutes to exit this room, so we sincerely appreciate your brevity today. Um, we look forward to staying in touch with you on these important matters. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Okay, can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove all witnesses and add all members back into the spotlight and ask Clark to summarise any actions? So briefly then, members, uh, we're writing to the department asking about the uh, capital new build programme generally for special schools in particular, and in particular for special schools in Belfast. So when have they last built and what are their plans? Is there going to be a call? Also asking for further information and an update on the value for money um, issues in respect of Struel, and also I think indicating the committee's concerns around the comments flatlining of the uh, capital youth programme also indicating concerns around or rather asking a question around for confirmation for funding for the special schools framework um, in the next financial year and also um, uh, seeking clarity around um, uh, the funding for vulnerable children and SEND support, um, how that's being targeted, how it's being received. I think the committee is indicating its general support for the items in table three. And Mr Butler had a question which I couldn't quite make out, um, which the department said they come back on. Can Mr Butler help me out here? What was it he asked for? Probably. Uh, I can't actually remember. <laughs> okay. Okay. It was sitting around the middle of the I'm sure, but um, I asked a few and I passed them together. So. Well, 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 we'll check the record and Robin content with coverage of your points you wanted raised as well. Yeah, on those two items from table yeah. three. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thanks, Thanks members. Um, we'll do our best. Importantly, we need to see. Uh, some more information around what Gary Fair said about the extra spend on SIA and CCMS. Not satisfied with the answers, and I think there's more to it. I don't know how they can justify the trebling of the cost 
uh, over a few years later and answer that question. So it's important to get some detail on that. Uh, anything you want to see it? And then I'll be quick. And see it and who, sorry? CCMS. CCMS, thank you. Okay. Chair, yes. Chair, I have yeah, I did take a note of it here. It was in the five million pounds been allocated in terms of wellbeing. It was to ask um, around the school school profile had special schools been included in that, or had they been excluded? Okay. Okay. Yeah, because the engage program doesn't yeah. apply to special schools. Um, yeah. We get therefore seek an update about the unengaged program for special schools as well. Um, okay, members, content with those agreed actions? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, members, we'll do our best in the minutes remaining to discharge committee business. Uh, Clark, wish to record apologies. Morris, uh, Morris Bradley. Yep. Thank you. Okay, we'll defer chairperson's business until uh, next week. Um, although, note um, the resolution of the confusion around PE in schools yesterday, and um, thank members for their contribution to the uh, the committee motion on post-primary transfer at the Assembly on Monday, um, which resulted in a, a, a vote in favour of an outlining of contingency plans for post-primary transfer this year. Um, draft minutes. Can I refer members to draft minutes of the committee meeting of the 21st of October 2020 at page 6 of your packs and seek members' agreement for that the minutes are a complete record? Agreed? Agreed. Thank you. Okay. That's thumbs up from Robbie. Can I count that? No. Not really. No members. Ha help me with a, a, an agreed. agreed. Thank you, well members. Okay. Uh, agenda item seven. Then members is Sorry, matters arising. Agenda and four. Uh, there are no matters arising. Content. Agreed. Okay. Agreed. Agenda item seven is correspondence. Can I ask the clerk um, to speak to correspondence. Chairperson, there's a lot of items there. It's about 29. Can I ask our members content to dispose of them in line with the uh, note that I've provided at uh, page 241 to 245? Agreed. Agreed. Yep. Great. Sorry, Bobby, I think, wants to come in? Rob, no, I think he said agreed. All right. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yep. I'm going with agreed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then, Clark, forward work program at agenda item 8. So, uh, members, just the two quick things to get through. Um, there's a, a memo in, t in tabled items, um, uh, which is basically indicating that the Education Committee will have to meet early, once every three weeks. Um, this is so as to allow standing committees to get into um, this room um, a wee bit earlier. So, for example, standards and privileges will be in here at 12.40. That's why we're speaking so quickly. Um, we've also been asked to move to the Senate or room 30. So. We're not going to Timbuktu, we're going to next door or somewhere else. I'm not exactly sure why we have to do it. I think it's something to do with uh, broadcasting or maintaining a bubble of their staff and they only want to go into certain rooms, so I think that's the reasoning. Other thing is the speaker has written to indicate that there will be a service to Mark Ormus this day, next week, on the 11th of the 11th, in the Senate, where we'll be. So um, what we'd have to do is meet earlier than usual, 9 o'clock again, sorry, um, but then we would stop at 10.40. Uh, the service, I think, will happen about 5 to 11, and then we'll be back in again at about 11.30. So, Chairperson, can I ask if members are content to, to do this? Agreed. Content, yep. Okay. And the other thing, then, members, is that um, the department has sent us the Emotional Health and Wellbeing Framework 
they would really like to come and brief us about it. So what I'm suggesting is if you look in your tabled items, there's a um, much revised forward work programme. Um, sort of just driving through that, that would mean on the 11th of November, we'd still have IFA, GAA and Ulster Rugby to talk about sport in schools and physical activity and those good things. And then after that, if members are happy, we would then get the department talking about emotional health and wellbeing framework. Um, if members are happy enough with that, um, everything pretty much stays the same until we get to the 2nd of December, and you can see the differing times and locations, um, so that on the 2nd of December, what I'm hoping we'll be able to do is, uh, in the, the first briefing we would have on the 2nd of December would be the send to framework, um, which is out to consultation, and it is a, a big consultation. And then after that, we would have the uh, children and young people strategy, and I'm hoping the um, department will agree to come along and talk about at the same time the care experience children's strategy. Now, this is also in correspondence um, department hadn't intended, I think, to brief us on it. Um, members may recall there was a looked after children's strategy. But this is bigger. A lot of it is health. Quite a bit of it is education. So if members are happy enough to do that and the department is agreeable, the other change then would be that on the 9th of December, we're going to have um, a restrictive practice seclusion and restraint briefing from the British Association of Social Workers. Um, and then I'm hoping, I've asked the department, that maybe the minister might be able to come along on the 9th of December. We'll be getting close to Christmas then, uh, be on the other side of our uh, of restart, um, and uh, maybe things might be a little bit clearer or less clear in terms of um, restarted schools. So if members are content to seek uh, ask for a briefing from the Minister um, on that date. So can I ask Chair, um, and then what we would do on the 16th of December is have the curriculum sports programme then. Um, Ms Mullen, I think, would like to come in, Chairperson. I have a span Chair. in the works, span Peter. The, works. Uh, the 16th of December, Youth Work Alliance can't do. Okay. It's the only date that they can't, so we have someone else arranged. Uh, okay, well, that's, that's, that's grand, actually, because the 16th, of the, I'd like to keep that fairly um, empty anyway, because always something comes up on the last meeting before mm -hmm. Christmas recess, I find. So I'll speak to them, and if members are happy, we'll reschedule yeah. them for the new year. Yep. Okay. Members content generally with everything else? Yep. Agreed? Agreed. Okay, members. Um, any other business? Yeah. Yes, Can I just come on? I just, uh, just want to note um, Catherine Kelly's contribution to the committee. Um, I've passed on the messages that some members have um, gave to me, and she appreciates and thanks you all for the good wishes. And she really enjoyed her time on the committee and she wishes us all the best. That's it, Chair. Thanks for raising that. that. That was an item in Chairperson's business um, that time required me to defer, but I, I would echo everything that you said. Um, and I think it is normal practice for committees to write to outgoing members to thank them for their contribution to the committee. Um, in, in particular, from my point of view, um, uh, in particular relation to, to childcare issues in early years, I think uh, Catherine was a, a leading member in that regard. Um, so members content to, to write to Catherine and thank her for her contribution. Agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Okay, members. Uh, next meeting then is Wednesday the 11th of November in the Senate Chamber at 9am. The committee does now adjourn. Thank you. Thank you.